Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think Noah Aurat don't look at the situation and he wonders if he can win a World Series in St. Louis. Um, he's 32 years old. He hasn't won a playoff series yet in his career. Um, he hasn't played on a, you know, on a winner. He hasn't gone deep into the playoffs yet. And um, I think he's someone who probably looks at where he stands. Um, he looks at his peers and he probably says, "Hey, I want to play in October." And it's, you know, the, the Cardinals will not be playing in October this year. Uh, so next year he's going to be 33 years old and. He probably looks around, and there's a lot of young talent there in St. Louis. Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn coming on up. But um, I think he looks at the situation and wonders if he can go somewhere else and win, um, you know, still in the tail end of his prime. It was a matter of time before we got to the Nolan Arenado to L.A. rumors. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That audio was Jorge Castillo of the L.A. Times on with the balloon party so credit to the balloon party for a good get the man that broke the news yesterday here is what he reported in the la times the dodgers have engaged in talks with the st louis cardinals to acquire nolan arenado according to people with knowledge of the situation but who are not authorized to speak publicly the cardinals according to castillo could also send starting pitchers jack flaherty or jordan montgomery to the dodgers for a package of major leaguers and prospects he then continues alex the cardinals would want young pitching in such a deal they have eyed all of the Dodgers young starters a trade would also likely include Max Muncy or Chris Taylor if not both players to St. Louis he then continues on all of the things that make such a deal difficult to be able to come to terms on for both the Cardinals and the Dodgers including the no money clauses no trade clause all of this stuff right he then later on in the story and honestly we'll get to this here in a minute I found this part of the piece more interesting than the trade talks part of the piece he talks about how Nolan Arenado has grown unhappy and frustrated by the Cardinals moves last offseason or maybe more specifically the lack of moves last offseason then later on in the day I found this to be interesting as well Alex Mark Feinstein who is a trusted and noteworthy journalist for MLB Network said he spoke with Joel Wolf Nolan Arenado's agent Joel Wolf declined to get into specifics about the article regarding the Cardinals and Dodgers talks, but he said the idea that Nolan Arenado would only waive his no trade clause to the Dodgers was, quote, inaccurate, end quote. That's clickbait. So let's get into this. I don't think the Cardinals are trading Nolan Arenado. I would be shocked by that, in fact. It's one of the very few things that we've been legitimately consistent about for the last month. Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, those guys are staying. Everything else I'm at least willing to discuss. But those two guys, they're staying here in St. Louis. I don't think that changed with this reporting yesterday. What did change for me a little bit was my understanding of how the Cardinals are approaching any of this. Why wouldn't John Mosaylock just put out a statement saying, we are not trading Nolan Arenado? Just, you're at the ballpark. This all broke as the game is getting ready to be played yesterday. Gather the local media and say, I want to make this very clear. 
turn on the cameras, turn on your recorders. This is for the record. Nolan Arenado will not be traded at the deadline. He has four years remaining on his contract, and we believe he's going to continue to be a perennial all-star right here in St. Louis. There is no downside to making such a statement unless there's a potential of him being traded. And I don't believe there is. So go ahead and say it into the microphones today. Go ahead and put an end to all of this reckless speculation. Do the same thing for Paul Goldschmidt if you're not trading him. The way that the Cardinals have approached the deadline has been baffling to me, Alex, because I understand you're not going to respond to every trade rumor or negotiation. You shouldn't. If there's something out there on Dylan Carlson, you shouldn't say a damn word because there's a real chance that you trade Dylan Carlson. But on Goldie and Arenado, the two franchise cornerstones, that's where you got to get out publicly and get in front of this stuff, Alex. Look, I engaged back in high school a lady named Brittany Niedermeyer. And she was a fox. And I asked her to a dance. And you know what she did? She laughed in my face. <laughs> Damn, man. And what I mean by this is anybody can engage in something that they want. But the return, the response to that isn't going anywhere. So when I read all of these reports, and it was great work by this Jorge Castillo, I looked at it and said, yeah, of course the Dodgers are engaging the Cardinals about Arenado. As they should. Because they want to win a World Series, and he's the best third baseman in baseball. But that doesn't mean the Cardinals are going to do anything with it. And frankly, if the Cardinals were to move him for the names that were brought up of a slew of young pitchers in the system, or if it was Max Muncie or Chris Taylor, you're not competing for 2024. So then John Moselec going to have to go stand in front of every single media member after that trade and explain why a month ago you said our focus was on winning for 2024, and now you're trading the best player away. If you trade Nolan Arenado, your reputation as the Cardinals president of baseball operations is it's ruined. Done. You're out. Like that's that's the truth of the matter. It's not very good right now. It doesn't <laughs> matter what the return is. It really doesn't. You will forever be remembered as the guy that let things go south here in St. Louis, and then you traded the future Hall of Fame third baseman after that was one of the feathers in your cap of your accomplishments and your time here as the Cardinals president of baseball operations. Right now, he's got it on his resume. Acquired future Hall of Famer Paul Goldschmidt, acquired future yeah. Hall of Famer Nolan Arnauto in a three-year stretch. Track record. That matters. So for John Mosellock, this is something that you should shoot down. Somebody on the text line, and by the way, you guys can get involved in the show. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We're going to be talking to John Morosi of MLB Network coming up here in less than 10 minutes about all of this stuff uh, pertaining to the Cardinals going into the trade deadline. The 636 says, why would you close that door? If the right offer is there, why not go ahead and allow this to linger? Because there is no offer that can be met for me that makes me a contender next year by trading Nolan Arenado. Exactly. Agreed. There isn't an offer. There just isn't. Like, if you want to be the team that they claim to want to be in 2024, then Nolan Arenado is a part of this future. Period. Like, you, Bryce Miller, the P-Point guy, whoever the pitcher is that you want for the Cardinals from the Dodgers that you think would help boost their uh, team in 2024, that guy's here without Nolan Arenado on the team. Who cares? Now here's at that point you should trade Goldie. Like well, if you're trading Nolan Arenado, you should also trade Paul Goldschmidt. And now we're talking about a rebuild. Like it's no longer a retool. It's no longer competing for 24. That is a full blown rebuild. I do not believe this team is in the business of rebuilding in 2024. Just refuse. And to that's believe it. the difference. And I know I want to make it clear that I'm not talking out of both sides of my mouth here. Uh, if somebody approached me for a Paul Goldschmidt, I probably listen to it because. 
if Jordan Walker is not an outfielder, you put him at first base, you might get a return, and he's going to be a UFA next year. Nolan Arenado is under contract for the next four years, and yeah, he's 33, and yeah, he wants to compete, but this has nothing to do with Nolan Arenado and everything to do with the roster around him. So if I'm John Mozeliak, I'm doing exactly what BK just mentioned. I'm shutting this down immediately, and I'm going to have a come-to-Jesus moment with myself and say, hey, this guy, if the reports are true, isn't happy with what happened in the offseason. It's time for me and my front office to take a look in the mirror and find a way to make this team competitive for Nolan Arenado right now. Somebody says if we could get Bueller in uh, this deal and sign him to an extension, then I would be interested. Ooh. Nope. Nothing like that guy without his right arm. Yeah, no. Oh, you got that guy in Brendan Donovan. I, I think it's... <laughs> Touche, sir. All right, that was a good one. Air five. Air five. I think it's very simple. I am not trading my my full stance as the Cardinals president of baseball operations. I think this is a winning um, electoral platform winning my my full stance. <laughs> my platform would be I am not trading Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt or, or Jordan Walker. I feel like sometimes we make this stuff more difficult than it needs to be. They're untouchable. I don't care what you offer me unless it's Mookie Betts. And let's be honest here. That ain't happening. They are not trading Nolan Arenado. I, can, I give you, can I give this you my crazy. tinfoil on how this happened? Because after reading that article and all the pieces that were like involved in yeah. terms of what could come back, and it was mentioned that they were discussing a package of Monty and Jack being involved for with Arenado. My, this is my assumption how it went. Hey, Mo. Yes. We would like Jack and Monty. Okay, here's what we want in return. All right, now what if we add in Arenado? What? No. You're not getting Arenado. Oh, okay. Well. We'll, we'll come back maybe later after we circle that the rest of the starting pitching market. All of these discussions more difficult is like the engaged in talks part is doing a lot of work here. Just like I did I, back I, in high school. Again, though, I don't want to get lost on that specific piece to this. Yeah. Because I think there were other interesting nuggets in this story that were honestly more important than the, the Dodgers are engaged in talks for Nolan Arenado. No, the, the engaged in talks was they called and Mo said no. That's it. Like that's, ask her to homecoming. that's the way that it goes. Exactly. Alex has a lot of examples of this. Son of a... The part that I found really interesting, though, and this is well reported, this guy that wrote this story is not just some schmuck from L.A. that is trying to... They're all just some schmuck Put some chum in the water for the Dodgers fans. This guy is an enterprise reporter for the L.A. Times. This guy is a notable writer in L.A. that doesn't even typically write about the day-to-day stuff. This guy writes about, like, long-form pieces, capital J journalist. He wrote in there that Nolan Arenado has grown unhappy and frustrated with the lack of moves that the Cardinals made last offseason. None of us are surprised by that. Yeah, I was like, can you blame him? All of us agree with Nolan Arenado. So, if you're John Mosellock, you should probably read that, or you honestly should probably already be aware of it, and say to yourself, hmm, we should do something about this. Go get the mid-tier pitchers for you, free <laughs> exactly. agency. Go get Clark Schmidt. Two or three He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon <laughs> Kiley. Coming up next, John Morosi is one of the best in the business. He's been all over the latest news in the trade uh, rumors. What does he believe is the Cardinal stance on Nolan Arenado right now? And what does he think they can realistically get for some of these pending free agents? We'll talk to John Morosi about the Cardinals' planes of the deadline next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex 
Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And it is our pleasure to be joined by John Morosi, MLB insider for MLB Network. Genuinely appreciate him joining us in what is an unbelievably busy time of the year for him. John, we appreciate the time as always. Let's start with the obvious. There was a report coming out of L.A. yesterday that the Dodgers have engaged in conversations with the Cardinals for Nolan Arenado. What is your understanding of the Cardinals' current approach with Nolan? Well, good morning, and thanks for the invitation to be on the show, as always, my friends. I really appreciate that. I think with respect to Nolan, my understanding is certainly the Dodgers are interested. They have been interested for years. Uh, Nolan, I think, has had a lot of interest in playing in his hometown. That's his hometown team. He grew up going to games there. All those things are true. The question is, from the Cardinals' perspective, what kind of deal would make sense? And uh, what, I, what I'll say is the Cardinals continue to tell people that they are not giving up on 2024, which means that any trade with Arenado would have to make them better for next year. That's a pretty high bar to, to clear, but I, I, I don't believe we can necessarily reject this possibility out of hand because I see some situations in which if you get the right pitchers back from the Dodgers or the Mariners in particular – that you could argue that your team would be better off in 2024 by making this trade because you could reconfigure your infield, move some of your younger infielders over to third base. We know that somebody's going to get traded because Mason Wynn is coming, and, and I think that's a, it's the most natural thing for the Cardinals to do. You could also go out in the free agent market and try to sign a, a Matt Chapman or a Jamer Candelario. There, there are some scenarios where your overall roster is more balanced if you, if you trade Nolan Arenado in this case. But what I would tell you in general, and, and this is my own opinion, is that the Cardinals are, are playing so dreadfully at the moment <laughs> that they're really not in a position to have a whole bunch of untouchables. I, I always say my, my response when someone says, oh, this, this team is this guy's off limits, this guy's off limits. Well, if you've got that many guys who are off limits, why are you in last place? So that, that to me is, is the way I look at it. I, again, I think it's still likely – that Arenado is still a St. Louis Cardinal on August the 2nd, but I, I don't believe we can reject that possibility entirely right now. John, this is why I love you, sir, because you just nailed what I've been saying for so long with this Cardinals team. But when you talk about the pitchers in return, if Arenado was to be dealt, who are those pitchers that would make sense for the Cardinals to make that move? Well, I think it, the, with the Dodgers, it, whether it's Bobby Miller Grove, there are some young arms there that with the Dodgers have made a, a really big impact already at the major league level. I still think that the team that the, the Cardinals, even more so than the Dodgers, should probably be dealing with is, is the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners are the team to go to if you need young pitching. Brian Wu comes to mind. Uh, Bryce Miller comes to mind. There's a lot of different possibilities there on that Mariner roster to where a young infielder going from Seattle to uh, or from St. Louis to Seattle, rather, makes a lot of sense. And I'd put Nolan, because he's controllable on, on his long-term contract, fits into that bucket. It's, it, he's obviously not a rookie, but the, the point is you'd have him for a, a period of time. So that's how I look at that possibility. I, I think Seattle, uh, again, Kirby, I think, is probably off limits. Um, Logan Gilbert might be quite close to it. But, but that's where, if I'm, if I'm the St. Louis Cardinals, and if Seattle – I'm just saying, theoretically, if they were to say, yeah, if, if we could get Arenado, we would, we would consider giving you Logan Gilbert. 
The Cardinals have to listen to that. This, the, the rotation, as you guys have seen more than me this year, is, is not good enough. And not only are they not good enough now, they're not even really close. I mean, so this, this, is a, this is a massive, comprehensive change that has to occur for this organization in the coming months. And, and when you're in a place as dire as the Cardinals are, I'm just not sure that, that you can really reject any sort of options out there. And you look at the way this Cardinal team has played progressively month after month. We've been all been waiting for this team to show, even for a solid six weeks, that they're close to being the team we, we thought they were. And they just haven't done it. So I, I think this is a kind of a, a trade deadline where the, the fact that they're one of the clear sellers in the, in the sport They've got to embrace that, lean into that, because there's a lot of teams, the Cubs are one example and some others, that are kind of trying to thread the needle. The Cardinals, the, the blessing here is that they've been so bad, there, 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 should be, there should be no mistaking what they need to do, guys. I mean, they, they've, got, they've got to, they have the blessing of clarity, as, as odd as that sounds. It is entirely clear to me what they have to do, and, and I'm not so sure that a quick express rebuild and bringing back 80% of the same roster next year is is the wise play right now. John, uh, speaking of Seattle, is it possible for the Cardinals to get any of those pitchers without trading Arenado or Goldschmidt? Well, I, that, that's a great question. And, and I, I, I do think that those are probably two of the guys that, that Seattle would, would be wanting right now. Uh, if you put together a, a, a package of multiple uh, guys, is, is it, if it's Donovan, uh, and Gorman or some combination thereof. I know that'd be a lot, but but again, when you're when you're not a very good team, you have to think about stuff like this. Uh, and I think that that's that's where if you're talking about the high end guys, Kirby, I have a really hard time thinking he's getting getting moved in any circumstance. Gilbert might be a little bit more available. You know, Miller and Wu are also really good. Uh, and I think you know Wu has the kind of explosive fastball that we just that we don't see a lot of. I mean, in terms of just a guy that can harness it at a young age and has already shown he can do it at the major league level. I mean, I was yesterday, I was in Detroit for the amazing display of Otani. And before that game started, um, before that game began, I was in the dugout talking to Mike Trout and we were just talking about different situations and Trout said, and that Brian Wu's got really good stuff. So if Trout's saying that it's a pretty good demonstration of what, what he can do. And so again, I I think Wu Miller um, Gilbert, uh, I, I think there might be some ways that, that with, with those types of guys that Donovan and Gorman are, are in play, maybe even Carlson in the right circumstance. But I, I think those are, that's the, the general buckets of guys that we're talking about to where the Mariners and Cardinals, who have had a long time, they've been talking different situations for months, according to what I've been told. I, I think those are all scenarios that are at least on some level are in play. John Morosi is our guest here on 101 ESPN. You see him on MLB Network. He is at John Morosi on Twitter as well. He's an absolute must follow at all times, but especially this time of the year and especially this year with the Cardinals. As he said, I love the way you put it, John. They have the blessing of clarity. That's what we've been trying to get across for the last few weeks, but it seems like the Cardinals, uh, there's mixed messaging coming out of St. Louis. One day it's, we're sellers. We got to get pitching, pitching, pitching. And then the next it's, well, we're considering an extension for for Jordan Hicks, we're potentially going to hold on to all of our young players. And it feels like every day that we come on the radio, John, there's a new player that has been added to the quote unquote untouchable list. I wanted to ask you about how they value these young guys, Donovan, uh, Gorman, Newt Bar, et cetera. 
when you talk with other teams, do they get the impression that the Cardinals are overvaluing their young players again? You know, it's a great question because I think that a lot of the guys that we're talking about here, they're they're good players. They're good everyday players. I think, and and some would argue, uh, you know, how to best utilize Newt Bar. Uh, you know, Donovan, I, I love his on base, and I think there's a lot of teams. You know, his his on base skill is is valuable. You look around the, the game, and, I, and the reason why I mentioned the Mariners a lot with him, they they've struggled with on base. They've got a, a quite quite a low on base. Even a team like the Brewers, they've got a pretty low on base percentage situation there, where, where maybe and again that'd be a rare thing, but but the Brewers and Cardinals would be a rare trade partner, I think, in this in this situation. But there is a mutual need because Donovan just gives you on base and the Brewers have struggled in that regard. So I think, I think that's where I, I look to them as being in a good year, all-star type players. But are they, are they franchise changing? Are, are we talking about a Julio Rodriguez? Are they Mookie Betts? Are they Freddie Freeman? No. I mean, I think they're, they're a notch or two below. And that's okay. I, I think you need to have – you're not going to have nine Aaron judges in the lineup. So I think you have to have a little difference in terms of how the lineup is constructed. But I, I don't think that they should be priced right now as, as MVP candidates, because they're not, they're good players, but they're not MVPs. They're not perennial all-stars from, from what I can tell right now yet what we've seen. And so I, I, I do think, and this is where you, know, you get into a bit of the, the, the politics of the trade deadline where some people will say, oh, the prices are too high. Oh, these guys are asking for too much. Whatever it is, we'll, we'll, find, we'll find out by, by August 1st at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And that's where you know, this is not a year where the Cardinals can let this, this day pass by. I, I respect that John Mozeliak, Michael Gersh, they've got decisions to make, and, and, and this is where they've got to really do a lot of, a lot of significant work for the organization. But but I, I do not believe it would be acceptable if we're talking on Tuesday night or Wednesday morning and they haven't done anything of consequence. You, you, the roster is what it is right now, and they've made some mistakes to get themselves to this point. They have to start to dig themselves out of this hole because it, it's, it's not acceptable when your team has played like this to have a deadline go quiet. And so we'll see. I, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt and the benefit of, doing something with these next five days, but it is not acceptable if on Tuesday night, ah, the, the prices, you know, the, the buyers are being ridiculous with what they were asking for, and, and that was why we didn't do anything. That, 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 to me, would not be acceptable. I think we have to also realize at the same time, we don't get, this is not like reading the stock ticker. Like, <laughs> we don't know everything that's going on right now. And so I think that there's a certain element of, you know, these, these guys have, have been very good executives in the game for a long time give them the benefit of the doubt of some time to see what happens. But, but Tuesday evening is the time to, to show some results. And I think it's important to see what the Cardinals have to show for it by then. John, final one for you from me, and we appreciate your time. Mo has made it very clear that 2024, they're hoping can be the winning window still for them. Do you see a path that this Cardinals team has where they can get back into that competitiveness for 2024? I do, I do, but but they're going to have to, and, and I credit John Mozeliak for speaking publicly about this in, in recent days, they have got to fundamentally change the way they evaluate pitching. And, and, and that has to go from the draft through the minor leagues to the major league level. Um, they got to miss more bats. And, and strikeouts and power stuff 
is expensive uh, on, on the open market, which, again, is why when you've got some, some bats to move now and teams that need it, you, you need to really take advantage of that right now. And so I, I do think there is a, there is a pathway, but, but here's, here's where, and we've seen it, whether it's Steven Mass or other moves they've made, you cannot fix your rotation in one offseason by signing three new starting pitchers. Like, like that, that strategy does not work. So either you've got some guys that are close to the major leagues that you like and are willing to trust, or you've got to turn some of your bats into arms in the next three days. Like, that has to be step one. I, I think there's going to be room for this team to sign somebody in free agency in, in the offseason, but it can't be like three or four somebody. That, that's, that's not a tenable strategy. You've got to start to do your work of the offseason has to begin between now and 6 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday. All right, John, we'll get you out of here on this, and you can take this in whatever direction you would like. First of all, what are you hearing, if anything, on the Cardinals in terms of like what they're actually trying to do right now? And then secondarily for you, what does a successful deadline look like for the St. Louis Cardinals? Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, they are, they are willing to listen on a lot of their guys. I, I saw the report today about Hicks potentially – uh, being in play for Texas. I mean, I know there's a lot of teams out there looking for bullpen. The Dodgers want bullpen. I think that's another option and, and to watch their potentially the Cardinals moving some of their, uh, some of their pitching pieces that are, that are working well. I think whether it's Flaherty as well in Montgomery, you know, the, the, there's going to be interest in these guys. And, and I think uh, the Dodgers are one to carefully teams like Baltimore, Tampa, like all those arms are in play looking for both starters and relievers. And I think a successful deadline, I would say this, at a bare minimum, and I mean minimum, you've got to get one guy in who, who John Mosellock can say he is going to be in our rotation on opening day of 2024. At a minimum. And I really think that you, should, you probably should be getting two guys about whom you can say that to be true. I mean, that's, otherwise, otherwise, think about it. If, if you don't get two guys, and you're not even sure, okay, what's Libertor's role next year on opening day? Who knows? I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty there. Think about if you get to the off season and you've not done work to where you've already got three or even four guys settled in the rotation, what are the agents going to be asking from you for that? They're going to know that you've got zero in terms of leverage because you're just hoping for two or three guys to fill in your rotation. So that's where I need to get two legitimate starting pitchers for next year's rotation by the by the time uh, 6 p.m. Eastern time arrives there on Tuesday. On the plus side, John, at least the Cardinals have never gone into an offseason with zero leverage for a position that they clearly needed and then ended up with a guy that a month into the season they didn't want to play that specific position any longer. That's never <laughs> happened before, that, 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 and that it will not happen again. Happened before. <laughs> never happened. John, appreciate the time as always, man. We look forward to seeing all of your work over on MLB Network and reading you on Twitter as well at John Morosi. Thanks so much for the time today. Thanks to you as well. All the best, guys. Have a great weekend. Thank Absolutely. you. Same to you. That's John Morosi. I genuinely believe one of the best in the business, especially this Man. time of the year. Um, he was preaching the gospel there to me there for that 12 to 13 minutes. The thing that I love about John that he does with his job, Alex, it's, it's kind of three spots. One, he genuinely loves baseball. Like if you ever watch MLB Network, whether it's around um, the Hall of Fame time or if there's like a big event that's taking place, John's typically there and he is going to have an infectious love of the game that comes across as he's on television. So that's one thing Two, 
he is well-reported. He talks with agents. He talks with teams. He has a pretty good idea of what's going on. And three, he is un, unafraid to give his yep. um, opinion on what's taking place. So he's got the informed opinion on what the Cardinals should do. And then he's going to give you the opinion kind of mixed in there on what he thinks they or what, what he will do, what they will do and what they should do. He's got both of those taking place. And what he said on the Cardinals pitching specifically, Alex, is something that I want to get into with you on the other side here on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I would say this at a bare minimum, and I mean minimum, you've got to get one guy in who, who John Moselock can say he is going to be in our rotation on opening day of 2024. Probably should be getting two guys about whom you can say that to be true. That was John Morosi of MLB Network joining us moments ago talking about what would make a successful trade deadline for the St. Louis Cardinals. Love the way that he put that. You got to get at least one, maybe even two starters that you can legitimately believe Alex on opening day of next year will be in the Cardinals rotation. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed any of that conversation with Morosi, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. Alex, I totally agree with him. This is the Cardinals' opportunity to get started on the offseason. So if that means going out and getting a Clark Schmidt from the Yankees or getting one of those young starters from the Mariners or getting somebody from the Rangers and what is apparently a team that is targeting some of the Cardinals' uh, relievers, including Jordan Hicks at the deadline, whoever it ends up being, you got to get at least one of those starters that you can slot into the rotation for 2024. I thought that was the most compelling thing that Morosi said in our conversation with him. What stood out to you? Well, to tie into what he said there and what was also very compelling for me was you have to be aggressive in this sense and asking him who you'd be able to part with without saying Arenado or Goldschmidt. He was talking about Brendan Donovan and Nolan Gorman and Lars Nupar and all of these guys that we've seen on the text line say, you can't trade that guy away. And I I thought Morosi nailed it there. He's like, look, Nolan Gorman is an incredible player, right? Now, Brendan Donovan, an incredible player, but neither of these guys are to the the degree of a franchise-altering player like a Jordan Walker or a Nolan Arenado or a Paul Goldschmidt. He used Julio Rodriguez as an example, and if you want to acquire one of these pitchers, you're going to have to be bold and make one of those moves with one of your position players. And he also said that, is what I said earlier this week, you don't have the luxury this season to sit here and say, well, all of these guys are untouchable for us because you've been bad. The blessing of clarity for this Cardinals team. You know you're bad. You know where your weaknesses are. You have to be aggressive. You can't say, well, we got some good depth pieces at the trade deadline. Some guys we just didn't get the right price for. So our offseason will start when everyone else's offseason starts. No, you need to start your offseason now. Your offseason needs to be at least partially completed by 5 o'clock on August 1st. 
So I, I think Morosi nailed it in terms of you're going to have to be bold making one of these moves to bring in somebody that you can look at and say he's a part of our rotation. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with him. I, I think you have to be willing to listen to most of those guys. And I understand that like Gorman has the potential to be one that you look out and go, oh, man, I'm, I can't believe we gave him up. Same with a Donovan or a Newport. But you have to be aggressive because you're in last place and your pitching needs a lot of work done. And I think he's right. I think he said it perfectly where you go into the offseason, you have like three spots in your rotation. Agents are going to know that they can kind of hold you for leverage of, okay, well, you desperately need somebody in this rotation. Maybe we can maximize more dollars through the St. Louis Cardinals. So I thought that was a great point for Morosi. And then also I, I agree with him saying they need to get one arm, maybe even two. That's why I said, I think it was Monday maybe, we asked the question of, what do you want to see post-deadline for the Cardinals? And I said, I want to see whether it be a starter they acquire outside the organization or somebody within the organization. Take a spot and solidify it in that rotation that they can put in pen. Okay, so-and-so is going to be in this rotation for 2024 and what I've been preaching from the clouds about is them changing their yeah. pitching development and changing how they look at pitching and I think they're going to do that I mean Mo's, Mo has said that but I think John Morosi was right they've got to reevaluate how they develop pitching and what they're looking for in their starters they need swing and miss they've got to start missing bats if they're going to have a successful rotation moving forward because what people are forgetting is yeah you can spend money and fix things in free agency but you're not just fixing two or three spots in your rotation in free agency you're also fixing your entire bullpen in free agency and frankly you're going to have to fix your defense somehow via free agency so you can't go into the offseason and say all right we got all these areas to address at least we've got depth with pitching from what we traded no and somebody texted and said so to be better in pitching you have to be bad and hitting next year you're not going to be bad and hitting next year you still have Goldschmidt, Arenado, Contreras, Walker, Donovan or Gorman, Newbar or Carlson or O'Neill. you've got all of these pieces Mason Wynn coming up what you don't have is a stud pitcher, and that's why you have to get to a puke point. Yeah, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. This one comes from the 314. So you need to buy two starters in the offseason, and there's uh, Jack and Mont- uh, Jack and Montgomery after the deadline. Totally disagree with you guys. If you end up getting this pitching, but you're bad at hitting, it makes no sense. The Cardinals have to find a way to be able to get these guys ASAP. So here, here's the thing, Alex. If the Cardinals go into the trade deadline and they don't add any of these starting pitchers that we're talking about. And so you go into the offseason and uh, your rotation at that point for next year looks like it's Michaelis is your number one. Matt's, I guess, would slot in technically as your number two. And then it's Liberator, Graceffo and McGreevy. Are you serious? I mean, that's what it would be, right? If they don't get the starting pitchers that we're talking about, that's who you would have. So, yeah. Rebuild. Rebuild. Blow, blow it up. up. Blow <laughs> it up. Blow it up. At some point, somebody else said, guys, you don't just rob Peter to pay Paul. All right, Doug Armstrong. Yes, you do. That is exactly yeah. what you have to do. Because you so- have a lot of Peter, so now, you can pay Paul. I, I will say this. T- <laughs> Clip that for me and use that later if you don't mind. You got a lot of Peters, You huh? have a lot of Peters that you can use. You can rely on some of those Peters while trading other Peters what? away. Who was the girl that you talked to about Brittany. the homecoming dance? Why do we got to keep bringing her up, man? She just laughed in my face. I tried to rob Peter to pay Paul, and you know what happened? I was, robbing, Peter I was robbing Peter that night by myself. <laughs> At the dance. It's embarrassing. Oh, it's embarrassing. Well, oh, not in be public. Classy. Not in public. <laughs> That's not allowed. <laughs> but I, to the point of that text, though, I, I wonder if fans have become kind of, not just fans, I think Mo falls into this too, scared of that pendulum swing that we talk about of all the time. Of course they have. From the deal with because trying to go and get Because you suck at bats. evaluating talent. Well, it's, not just, it's not just that. It, it is, 
it is a thought of, okay, well, we've got to go do this. So we've got to part with things. We've got to be over aggressive. Like, I think the Ozuna trade is the trade that shows this, this perfectly, where fans are so scared to part with too much offensive depth that they're fearing that all of a sudden they're going to have great pitching and not have the offense. Yeah, but the difference is you or didn't know what those guys mediocre were. Pitching and well, that mediocre too. off. This is the biggest, I will say, the fear of doing what we're talking about is that you end up being a, like a solid offense and a solid pitching staff, and now you've locked yourself into that middle ground of Major League Baseball where you do then have to make a decision of like, oh boy, we're going 82 and 80 a year or two from then. It would make sense to like blow it up. So that is that is the concern, and I understand it, but that's why you, you lock yourself in. I think at the deadline, you get like a three and four starter, hopefully, and then in the offseason, that's where you get the number one. I don't think you're going to acquire your ace at this deadline. I don't. I think that is something that you have to get via free agency. And it's something, Alex, I know we're all pretty skeptical about whether or not they're going to be willing to pay the freight that it will cost in free agency. But that's what they have to do. At the deadline, we're talking about, like, maybe it is woo from the Mariners. Maybe Logan Gilbert was a step too high. Maybe instead it's Miller or Wu. Those guys are good starters. They can help you. Those they are come twos in or threes, potentially, with ceiling. Maybe. Probably next year, they're a three or a four for you, and then you develop them, and hopefully you can well, dream on the idea that they're going to be really good. That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> they are the pitching versions of Lars Newbar. Right now, they're pretty good. And you hope, over time, they can become great. What do you have to trade for those guys? You trade Lars Newbar. <laughs> like you, you trade a guy that is currently pretty good, that a team can dream on being great. So I think that's what the Cardinals should be looking for. Another guy that I would throw in there is, I've m- mentioned his name a million different times, a guy like Clark Schmidt. Is he a really good pitcher right now? No. And you and this Clark Schmidt. But he's he's a placeholder. Like any other pitcher that you want to throw into that mix that's similar to him, I'm fine with it. I am not tied to this specific guy. There's just not a whole lot of guys like him. Yeah. I'm pretty sure next year, like there's some certainty with him. He's going to throw 160 innings for you, and he's going to be right around league average. Guys, do you know how much value that would hold for this year's Cardinals team? That guy would be your number four starter, and you feel fine about it. So that's what they need. They need guys that can come in, and every single time they go out there and start, you're pretty locked into five innings. He's going to give up three earned runs or fewer. You know what that does, Alex? It gives you a chance to win, especially with this offense. They are missing those types of starters right now. The one thing for me that gives me confidence if you have to make that bold of a move and trade away is look at how the Cardinals have developed bats over the last few years. Under Randy Flores, they know how to find them, develop them, and turn them into major league players. Not just the Nolan Gormans and the Jordan Walkers, but look at the Alec Burlesons. Look at the Brennan Donovans, the Lars Newpars. They can churn these guys out that can be contributing players to a championship team, you've already got the cornerstones and Goldschmidt and Arenado and Jordan Walker. I know you can develop position players and bats. You can't develop pitching. So go get the pitching with the guys that you've developed and continue developing those position players to fill those voids. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. And that's kind of been my sense on the Cardinals all along, even at like just position players. They've done a great job of developing those complementary bats. Well, as John Morosi said, people value complementary bats. You can't have a lineup of Aaron Judges all across your lineup. Yeah. I mean, nobody's going to build another Astros lineup that you saw like in 2017 for a really long time. So 
teams value these bats for like number three, number four stars. I just looked this up because I was curious. You said Clark Schmidt, league average pitcher. Last I looked, he's at like a 100 ERA yeah, plus. He's exactly league average. He's, he's truly would be the second best pitcher in this rotation right yes. now. Which, that would be great to have penned into your rotation for next year. You bank on a bounce back for Mats, and boom, you've got three spots already filled, and maybe even look for another one to fill on this deadline. I'm trying to think. Like, who do you guys think is a, a solid, solid team, but unspectacular, but probably going to make the playoffs this year with a decent rotation? Who should I look up on this to, to kind of do a comparison real quick? Philly. Philly. All like right. Dec- well, they got more than a decent rotation. Well, I mean, they got a heavy top two, but outside of that, it's... Not great. So Philly's number three starter this year. Um, let's go with Ranger Suarez as their their number three. Some something in that ilk, right? So far this year, he has a four point two ERA in eighty innings for the Philadelphia Phillies. He's Clark Schmidt. Yeah, like all of these teams that you're looking at for the most part that are like above average teams that are currently looking for starting pitchers, they have Clark Schmidt as their three or four starters. The Cardinals don't. That's their problem. The Cardinals' problem is that they don't have. The Lars Newbar or Dylan Carlson of pitching. That's what they need. So you go out there and you find it at this year's deadline. So that way you don't have to pay 12 plus million dollars for it this offseason. That's what you're hoping to avoid. So that's what they need to do. I thought it was great uh, work by John Morosi. He said uh, the number one thing that they need to do at the de- deadline is getting at least one guy, maybe even two, that will be in the rotation on opening day of 2024. We'll see what they decide to do there. We'll certainly keep you updated if we hear anything new on the Cardinals deadline approach over the next three hours. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys have any questions, sports or otherwise, we'll get to ask us anything next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Derek Gould just tweeting this out. We'll get to your questions coming up here in just a moment. Eli Drinkwitz threw out the first pitch yesterday at the St. Louis Cardinals game. He's going to join us coming up at the top of the 12 o'clock hour. So Mizzou fans, tell your friends, Eli Drinkwitz joining us in just over five minutes. Derek Gould tweeted out to repeat yesterday's update. The Cardinals do not believe that there has been progress on an extension with Jordan Hicks. And now they are telling interested teams, which includes both the Rangers and the Yankees, that they will indeed trade Jordan Hicks. Hallelujah. This is not me celebrating the fact that Jordan Hicks will not be here. I think that Jordan Hicks is a really good player and he's going to earn every penny that he gets from wherever he ends up signing this offseason, Alex. But this was always the smart approach for a team that is not contending in 2023. guess what? If he wants to be here, try and sign him in free agency. I still would not do that, but that is neither here nor there. Trade him so you can get the assets. All right. That should have never been a question. Let's get to uh, the text ah. line from the 314. BK with the new baby. How much are you able to use the Peloton? I will be honest with you guys. I don't think he's used the Peloton in like two years. That's not true. Um, <laughs> one thing that has definitely been harder than I anticipated is the decision of do I want to sleep for an hour or work out? Like that becomes the question. Or do I want to make dinner tonight with the next 30 minutes that I have or go work out and then we can just order in? Like, those are the decisions, Alex, that I know you've been making now for a couple of years that I am just coming into. And that has been, it's been quite the lifestyle I, change. I know I'll people say, say it because they 
it, like it's joking when they say it like, oh, when you got a baby, your life's over. It's not meant to be so negative. But what they mean by that is like when you have a baby, your life isn't as important as the baby's like meaning dinner's more important than exercising for yourself or you got to find a way to exercise that little extra but all of that stuff becomes a little bit easier once the baby's starting to sleep through the night you're in the stage right now where you get like spurts of sleep and your best bet is just to sleep when that baby sleeps i don't have a kid but i would definitely choose the one hour nap over the one hour workout kind of what it's been so i i try to still get a few runs in every week but i'm not going to be a fraud here. Only uh, runs I get. Definitely taking a step back. Don't finish that sentence. Is when my baby is trying to get into something and I run across the room. You're disgusting. Don't have that kind of mindset. That run yesterday, though, was a good one for me. Yeah, I believe that. Anybody that was watching on YouTube <laughs> certainly was able to see what Alex is talking Boy, I about. I ran down that hallway. From the 636, now that he's on YouTube every day, has T-Bone made any progress on getting a first date? No. Whoa. You didn't have to be so negative. You don't know what I'm doing. I know exactly what side. your days look like. You wake up. Probably around eight or nine. Wrong. T-Bone wakes up early. Sit and read your newspaper. You might get up around eight or nine. (laughs) I haven't gotten up from eight or nine since like 2020. He drives to work, works, goes home, pulls the hot dogs out of the freezer, lets them defrost, lights the cigar, takes an hour nap, wakes up, watches the Cardinals, whatever sporting event is on, and then watches television until about 1 a.m. and then goes to sleep. That actually sounds right. I actually believe, I, I believe most, most of that of was that accurate. Was right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the only one I got wrong was when you wake up. My no, apologies. No, and like it's not a hot dog every night for dinner. <laughs> like I'm not that guy. And I go for my old man walks. Wayno got me on those. There you go. I so enjoy the little spurts of time that be, uh, T-Bone can meet a girl. On my walk? Grocery shopping or on his walk? Yeah. Or maybe or he drives doing, past may, him when maybe, he's going to work. Maybe while I'm doing laundry. All right, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service X line. Final question here, guys: If you went into the offseason and the Cardinals' new rotation was Sonny Gray, Brian Wu, Miles Michaelis, Clark Schmidt, and uh, Stephen Matz for next year, how do you feel? Schmidt, Matz, Michaelis, Wu, and um, Sonny Gray. It feels a lot like a rotation that is built to get to the playoffs, but not succeed yeah. in the playoffs. Who's your ace? Now, I will say this. I think that's how it is for 2024. Sure. If Wu gets to the ceiling that I think he has, which is like a two or a one, then maybe in like two, three years, I'm having a different conversation. But I do I do like the rotation. It feels a lot more like last year's, but with swing and miss and can get you to the playoffs, and then you go from there. Replace Sonny Gray's name with an actual ace, and I'm all on. I would be fine with it. I would feel going into the season like it is a more certainty version of what you have this year. This year was a lot of question yeah. marks surrounding a lot of the guys that were in the rotation. This has the same upside probably as what this year's rotation did, but with less downside. So you kind of, in the words of John Mosellock, you decrease the delta between the top and the bottom. Coming up next, Eli Drinkwitz, Mizzou's football coach. He threw out the first pitch yesterday at Bush Stadium. I want to ask him this, Alex. How would he rate that first pitch? And for all you Mizzou fans out there, who's the player that you don't know about right now that Drinkwitz thinks you're going to be fawning over after the first couple of weeks of the season? We'll ask Drink that next year on 101. On ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrari 
Mario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Always happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by the head football coach for my Alex, my Missouri Tigers, my alma mater, Eli Drinkwitz, joining us here via the 101 ESPN hotline. Coach, we appreciate the time as always, my friend. How you doing today? Man, I'm doing really good. Um, glad for you to just be out there pounding your chest about the Mizzou Tigers. So now we got to live up to the hype and uh, make sure we, we, we keep you doing that with how we perform this fall. Never in doubt. And it was never in doubt, Coach, that you were going to be able to throw out a first pitch last night that did not look like 50 cent. How would you rate your <laughs> performance yesterday at Bush Stadium for your first pitch? So normally I spend about two weeks preparing, getting some long toss in and and making sure that my form, I actually usually go up to uh, uh, the, the baseball stadium and throw off the mound just to make sure. But uh, Saturday night I'd went to a fundraising event for the food bank and they had a dunk tank and first throw I smacked it and dunked the guy. I said, I'm good. I'm ready to roll. Don't, don't mess up a good thing, right? And so, uh, you know, after watching the, the film and breaking it down, uh, I really didn't get a high enough elbow, but I did throw a strike. Therefore, I didn't have as, as much velocity on the ball as I wanted. But there was a little bit of movement at the end. So, I mean, I, th- I thought maybe the cards would have to call me back in after they had to throw the starter out. Give it about a I week, thought. Drink. I was going to say, Drink, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you talked about movement on that pitch. I saw the video of it, and you tried to recruit our guys on the fast lane to be walk-ons for Mizzou a couple of years ago. Have you uh, yeah. contemplated the Cardinals calling you to work out of the bullpen for the rest of the season? You know, I, I'll be honest, I make pretty good money as a head coach. Missouri, so I don't know that the rookie minimum or whatever the call-up would be worth it, um, especially if we're not pursuing a championship. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay. I, we got a really good team coming back this year, and, and uh, I feel good about being the head coach of Mizzou. So I think my one, you know, the uh, first pitch will be good enough for me for this season. Drink, I, I've been told, don't don't get Drinkwitz in trouble while he's on with you guys today. So I'm not going to ask you anything controversial about college football or anything like that, but uh, there was a big story that came out of the game last night with Miles Michaelis plunking the batter after uh, he hit Wilson Contreras in the head. He was sticking up for his teammate in that spot. W- what are your thoughts about that old-school baseball that we saw take place yesterday at Bush? You know, I actually said something about it. I, I don't mind it, man. There's there's something about especially if a team's still trying to gel, you know, you got to play for each other first. And um, you know, I watched that whole thing and and even though, you know, the catcher and the batter kind of hugged it out, there's still something about like, hey, you you can't touch my teammates. And you know, we're fixing to get into fall camp and there's going to be some skirmishes in fall camp based off the same principle of uh, you know, you, you can talk trash about my brother, but or, or I can talk trash about my brother, but you can't, you know, and, and there's going to be some, some pushing and some shoving and, and letting people know. So you play in a sport that, that requires this much competitive nature, it's going to come out in some fisticuffs. So I don't mind a bit. I think there's got to be some of that in football and right. in baseball and team sports. Eli Drinkwitz joining us here on 101 ESPN. All right, let's talk about your team, Coach, because uh, I – I am a Mizzou fan. I watch every game. I saw what the defense was able to do last year under first-year defensive coordinator Blake Baker. It was unbelievably impressive, the transformation that that unit went through a year ago and all of the success that you guys were able to have. You bring back the vast majority of those starters. The yep. one spot, though, that you do have some question marks from the outside looking in is the edge rush because a lot of those guys have moved on now. How do you feel about some of the replacements that you were able to bring in at that position? Yeah, I mean, I think that's easily the biggest question mark, whether it's from the outside looking in or even from the inside looking out. Like, I mean, 
in our staff meetings this week. That that's the deci- that's the position that we have to sure up. I mean, you've got to be able to create uh, pressure on the quarterback through a four man rush. You got to be able to win one on one. You got to be able to set edges to your defense. Um, we're going to start by sliding Darius Robinson out, position flexibility. About, he's, he's lost a little bit of weight, still has his suddenness. He's playing about 280 right now, which, which is about what Isaiah was playing at last year. So we feel pretty good about that. Johnny Walker has made a transformation. He's been in our program for three seasons, is weighing 255, 6'3", played well in the bowl game, had a sack against Arkansas. So he's going to have an opportunity, obviously, with the transfer portal that allows you to bring in some transfers. We brought Joe Moore in, Austin Firestone, Niles Gaddy. Uh, two of those guys had significant playing time in their collegiate careers. Austin will be a redshirt freshman. And then, you know, we still got Ja'Kai Lang, who's a true freshman that's been here this spring. Serene, who's a, a true freshman. And then we're going to move DJ Wesselock back to the edge position. That's more of his natural position. Uh, we tried to train, you know, he had wanted to play a linebacker position and did that last year, but just didn't feel like that gave him the best possible outcome. So he's put on some weight. So we feel like we've got the right guys there. And now it's just about them going out and proving it. And here's the deal. You know, in our league, you got to go against great tackles. And every day we're going to get to see where they're at because they're going to go against a guy who's got, you know, over 30 career starts at Javon Foster. And you've got another guy at Marcellus Johnson who's got over 30 career starts, not necessarily in our league, but over the course of his career at right tackle. So we'll know pretty early how they match up. Um, And I feel like we've got the right guys there. I do think one of the things that is so good about the way Coach Baker and our staff coaches is we can create pressure on the quarterback through multiple blitzes and, and the movements that he creates. Um, and, and so I, I do think that there's the ability to create that havoc, even if we're not quite where we want to be at that edge position early. Coach, on the other side of it, on the offensive side of things, everybody that's excited about Mizzou football loves talking about Luther Burden, specifically after that first season. What did you yep. and your coaching staff learn about him after his first year? Yeah, the, the number one thing we learned uh, is, is he's hard to tackle. I mean, we got to get the ball to him. Uh, in space, and, and that's not always through jets and handoffs. You know, there's there's balls across the middle of the field. There's, you know, hitch routes in the slot versus one-on-one that we've got to take more advantage of. And I think transitioning him to a slot wide receiver position will give him more. You know, whether it's my offense in the past or Kirby's offenses, the slot position is going to get more targets. And obviously with the uh, – with Damo moving on to Georgia, you know we have we're never going to recreate Dominic Lovett, and we're never going to replace him. We just have to put somebody else in that spot and give them their opportunities to be the player that they want to be there. And and that's what Luther's going to do at the slot position. And he's going to have people who can come in and, and give him some breaks with Makai Miller and and some other guys that we've recruited. Eli Drinkwitz is the Mizzou head football coach. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Eli, you mentioned Kirby Moore there, your new offensive coordinator. I want to give you a lot of credit uh, for the decision that you decided to make in the offseason to bring him in, to have him call the plays. Uh, That head coaching position, I mean, you know this as well as anybody now. There's so much that goes into it. And to be able to bring in a guy like Kirby, who has proven at the the Division I level that he can do the job, uh, it was a good get in the offseason from the outside looking in. What has that transition been like thus far? And what is your level of optimism about that offense and how it's going to transition here to Mizzou? Yeah, well, I appreciate you giving me props for that decision. I, I was just reading all your columns because <laughs> I needed to do it. So I just I went with you. you. You know, No, I'm just kidding. Um, first off, yeah, I think it was 
it wasn't – I mean, it's a hard decision because anytime um, you've uh, maybe ascended through the, uh, uh, the ranks based off your strength, which for me was offensive play calling, it was part of my identity. And so I had to step back from my ego and say, look, you, there's other ways to provide value to your team. Um, and so far, I mean, the thing I love about Kirby is, one, he's incredibly smart, he's a hard worker, but he's low ego, high output. He understands he, he understands when, hey, Coach Drink or Coach Peter or Coach Looper or Coach Jones has a good idea here, but he also understands when it's, hey, this is how we're doing it. This is how we're going to do it, and I'm adamant about it, and he stands up for what he believes. So it's been really good. Um, I look forward to, to helping in fall camp, but more importantly, I look forward to watching and just seeing how he attacks Coach Baker. Because I know firsthand that's a tall task. And so I'm just glad I don't have to worry about it in two-minute drills anymore. Uh, Eli, I do want to ask you. Now, I I know how football coaches work with this. I'm going to ask you the question, and you're going to run down your entire scholarship roster. So I'm going to limit you. Two or three guys that maybe Mizzou fans don't know a lot about right now. But after watching your team in the first couple of weeks, you think they're going to be excited to watch them the rest of the year. Give me two or three guys that you think will stand out in that regard. Yeah, that's pretty easy. Tristan Wilson, uh, defensive linebacker, junior college linebacker. Um, he was a complete wrecking sh- wreck shop throughout the spring, and uh, he's going to be a guy that they all are going to be excited about to watch. Armand Mimbu, you got a little bit of a taste for him last year as a true freshman. He's going to move into the guard position, and he is going to wreck shop. And then I thought Realist George this spring really had a great spring uh, at the D-tackle position, has really grown a lot. So those are three guys that people have maybe seen but not really probably going, okay, they're going to be a big part of our team. I think those three. And if I had to pick a fourth, I would say Trevez Johnson. Trevez Johnson, the transfer from Florida, um, he played so much for that defense last year. And he comes in. You know, we feel pretty good about our secondary, and now we've just reinforced it with Trevez and Sydney. I feel really good about those guys. You've mentioned a few of your offensive linemen, uh, Drink, in terms of the guys that you either saw a taste of with Mimbu or a transfer with Johnson from last year. You've got another transfer, Cameron Johnson. Is it the expectation for you going into fall camp that he'll be your starting center? Um, he's going to definitely have the opportunity definitely have the opportunity to be i don't know that i have an expectation for it um but he's going to have every opportunity i I do think this you know you're always going to play five or six guys at offensive line and um you know i think now we really have six to seven that can contribute when you look at your quarterback position coach you knew you weren't getting out of here without answering a question (laughs) on that Are are you ready to to announce your starting quarterback going into Break the season? Break it right now, Drake. <laughs> yeah, I am. We're going to have one. And <laughs> here's the thing. And I told our staff this the other day. Nobody needs to have preconceived notions. Like, whoever the starting quarterback is is going to reveal himself through the course of 16, 18, 25 practices. And we just got to sit back and evaluate it and see. And he's going to have to show himself to his teammates. The number one person that the starting quarterback has to, to win first is his teammates. they got to believe in him, uh, in his ability to distribute the ball, lead, um, and get them the opportunity to win a game. And whoever that is, um, it's going to be awesome. You know, there's a lot of people that are capable of doing it. And so, you know, obviously Brady hit a hole in one yesterday. Maybe I was about to old. ask you, does that go into the evaluation? That has there? to go into it. Maybe. So, but Sam Horn had a great summer. Jake Garcia had a great 
summer. Dylan Lival had a great summer. And so I, uh, I feel really good that we're in great hands at the quarterback position. And uh, now, hey, after practice one, I may be singing a different thing. <laughs> but right now, that's, that's how I feel about it. That's Eli Drinkwitz, Mizzou head football coach. Drink, we appreciate the time, man. Good luck at fall camp. We will hope that everybody stays healthy for you guys, and we're wishing you all the best uh, as you go through fall camp and into the season. We're looking forward to seeing you out here in St. Louis this year, uh, taking on Memphis at the Dome. Yeah, I look forward to getting back on here, especially as we get closer to that game and really pushing uh, the, the St. Louis fans and, and that community rally behind us. So thank you for allowing me to be on the air and, and getting back on soon. Drink, uh, good luck closing out the Cardinals game tonight against the Cubs out of that bullpen. We'll be rooting for you. M-I-Z-O-U. That's Eli Drinkwitz, Mizzou head football coach, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Sincerely appreciate him hopping on with us today. Alex, I know we joke a lot about Mizzou and my my tortured fan base of being a Mizzou fan. Um, it, it's a hard life, man. You know that the other shoe is going to drop eventually. I have legitimate optimism about this team, and it terrifies me. It scares the hell out of me. Ultimately, and this is... I mean, every Mizzou fan out there has the same feelings as I do about it. It's going to come down to whether or not they get better quarterback play this year. Brady Cook was, I think, undervalued last year. The way that he ended the season, I, it gave me a little bit of optimism about what he's going to be this upcoming year if he's the starter. Um, if he takes a step, if the offense is a little better in part because Kirby Moore is in charge of it and you get Luther Burden into his natural position in the slot, as Drinkwitz mentioned there, they have legitimately improved the offensive line in the offseason with a couple of transfers coming in. They've got a real chance with that defense that we talked about to be, you know, eight and four, nine and three potentially this year. I mean, it's it is possible, Alex that they come here to St. Louis to play against Memphis three and on the year with wins against South Dakota, Middle Tennessee and K-State. And if they do that, it is possible that they start the year 5-0 and as they come back home to take on LSU. And that will be a massive game for them. Now, I would predict them to lose because LSU is very, very, very good you coming into the season. But, but it could be like the Georgia game last year where they find a way to stay in it until late. And then it comes down to whether or not they can make those one or two plays that they weren't able to make last year against Georgia. I'll tell you the two areas that I'm most excited about with this Mizzou team. And now after talking with drink, the defensive side of their game, because that was a strength last year and returning so many players and adding a couple of transfers, that's going to benefit them. But it's also what you talked with them about with Kirby Moore. Yeah. You bring in somebody who's going to coach that offense. So drink can focus on the game and give the responsibilities to somebody else. That gets you excited because if you do have the playmakers that you believe that they have, if you've got a, a solid offensive coordinator to work with those guys and not have the head coach worrying about it, that's going to benefit this Mizzou I'm team. I'm telling you, I, I wasn't being a phony there. I really do give Eli Drinkwitz a lot of credit for that because he mentioned it in the interview. He said, he hey, said, listen, I had to put my pride aside. Credit to you. It's really my my I deserve the credit, Congrats, but man. I'm going to pass it to yeah. Eli Drinkwitz in this Congrats. capacity. I'm going to give him the credit because he did put his pride aside. That's got to be a hard thing, dude. That'd be like if you're, I don't know, you're a, a lead salesperson, right, for your entire career, and then you've got this young, hot shot salesman that comes in, and he's got a, a connection specifically with one company, and that's been your 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 company for a long time that you're the lead guy on. And you say, you know what? It's for the best for us to get the most out of this sale by putting that guy in charge. That's what Eli Drinkwitz did here. So credit to him to being willing and open to making that adjustment. And I think it's going to make them a better team because of it. Yeah. And I'm fascinated to see how Moore wants to get the ball to Burton's hands, because I liked what he said there where we just got to get the ball to him because he's hard to tackle. Yeah. And there were too many times last year watching Missouri football where I went, 
Why are they not getting Burton involved in the offense? So I, I that is the key for me with them in terms of offense. I mean, it's going to come down to quarterback play, of course, because that's the most, posi- the most important position in any sport. But I'm fascinated to know how they decide to get the ball to Luther Burden more because he is a difference maker for Mizzou, and you saw that at times last year. I think the biggest thing on the defensive side of the ball, they got to get that pass rush going. Yeah. Um, he mentioned how they're going to have to move a defensive tackle out to defensive end this year. If you don't have the the edge rush that they had a year ago, the defense could go from being legitimately awesome last year to being pretty good this season. And that step back could be a massive game changer for them. So got to get the pass rush going defensively, got to get the quarterback play to take a step forward. And if you do those two things, this is a team that could it could give Mizzou fans reason to dream early on in the season. Coming up next, it's Alex's favorite segment of the week, the Major League Baseball trade deadline roundup. Yeah. Here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. By the way, somebody texted in on our Air Comfort Service text line saying that uh, they need to send in a mic drop of my yeehaw because it's terrible. That is the most untruthful text we've ever received on this show. Where did it come cr- from? Is this you? Where did it, no. Oh, Where did it uh, come from? 636. Six six. We're open for mic drops, by the no. way. Make sure you send them in. Yeehaws. You got something on your chest? Just let it out. That's what the saloon's here for. You got for. something on your chest like hair, spit. What are Bring you talking Bring it to the table, about? partner. Yeah! I almost turned your mic off there because I didn't know what Let's the hell was Let's head on into on. the MLB Trade Corral. Can I Jordan get like Hicks, a little country The negotiations have been broken up, it sounds like. According to Derek Gould, the Cardinals were not able to reach an agreement with Jordan Hicks. It sounds like the Texas Rangers have serious interest in Hicks. That's where we start with today's Major League Baseball trade. Round up! Yeah! Alex, this was always the most likely outcome, in my opinion. It never made sense for the Cardinals to give him three years at $10-plus million per year. I just, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it now or in the offseason, but I certainly would not do that now when there's going to be legitimate trade interest in Jordan Hicks. I think they should trade him. I think they should probably package him, honestly, with Dylan Carlson or with one of their starters. Hell, maybe with Dylan Carlson and one of their starters to garner the most interest possible. How would you feel about this news? I'm, I'm glad that they're not getting a deal done and I'm glad that the Cardinals are looking at this and saying negotiations are open for everybody because... To think of the amount of top closers that are available via trade, I got to imagine Jordan Hicks is one of the best. I mean, I know that the Pittsburgh Pirates said they'd listen on Bednar, but they said you're going to have to give us an incredible offer to get him away. You've already seen Chapman be moved. Haters, the other guy that's out there, but I would imagine that's going to be a tough trade for the other team. Jordan Hicks, this is great for the Cardinals. And if it's the Rangers, Rangers seem to be in desperation mode because they feel like their window is now. This could get the Cardinals some type of pitcher, whether it's a four or a five for your rotation or in a bullpen. So I love it. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't want to say I'm glad to see him go because I, I think when you look at him, I think I'm glad in terms of the assets you're going to get back. Look at the Robertson trade that happened last night. Mets from the Marlins. It's going to be something like that would be my guess is that's going to be what the package is going to look Got like a good to acquire Hicks. Yeah. So I, I think the Cardinals, I, I think you're going to get some decent assets in return for Jordan Hicks. I think he's the second best reliever on the market now that the San Diego Padres have made it clear. Josh Hader's available. So I think you got a decent chance there. Pew, 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 pew. 
Let's continue with our Major League Baseball trade deadline roundup. Alex Ken Rosenthal says that the Minnesota Twins are drawing legitimate trade interest for their starting rotation. Now, this one is interesting to me. We haven't really brought up the Twins, but they are much like what we've been discussing with the Mariners. Team that has a whole heck of a lot of cost-controlled starters that are currently in their rotation. They traded in the offseason for Pablo Lopez and then extended him immediately. They've got Joe Ryan. They've got Sonny Gray, who we've talked a whole heck of a lot about as a potential free agent option for the Cardinals this offseason. Then they've got Ober and Maeda, and they've got a bunch of dudes that are also on the tri- uh, on the um, injured list as well. Tyler Malley on the injured list for them. Would you be interested in maybe calling up the Minnesota Twins and Seeing if one of their starting pitchers could be had, Alex. Do they have talented pitchers, BK? They sure do. Then absolutely, I would be interested in calling them up. I'd be calling more teams than just the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Mariners. When you think of the Minnesota Twins, you think of certain guys that you could go get. And again, I'm not talking about finding that ace. It's pretty clear that the ace or the number two you're searching for is going to come from a trade with the Seattle Mariners or it's going to come via free agency. But you do have other areas that you need to update for next season. And if Minnesota's got these types of pitchers available to you to help out at the bottom or just add that depth or frankly update that bullpen, yeah, I'm calling Minnesota. The question is, what does Minnesota want? Like, are they looking for more established pitchers? Are they looking for more prospects or hitters? The thing is, I don't know. Genuinely, I, I don't because know. Because when I look at their lineup, return. like it's not like they need the bats like the Seattle Mariners need. Maybe they just need more defense. Maybe they need more options. Or are they trying to replenish their farm system? Because what I don't want to do is trade like a new I mean, or a Donovan or a Gorman to this team. So I, I actually think you could make an argument for any of those guys to this team other than Gorman. But are I don't you think getting they have the a guy same, that I would trade Gorman for? But are you getting the same caliber of return that you're going to be getting from the Mariners? Yeah. In terms of pitchers, whether Maybe. it's Moo, Woo or Miller or Gilbert? I mean, Joe Ryan's a stud. Like if he he's top of the end guy, isn't he? Yeah. Like, I mean, he he could be like a he could project potentially to be a number one for you. Yeah. He would be the best pitcher the Cardinals have had since like prime Jack Flaherty, probably. So I I think there's a case to be made that this is a team that you could target. Like Ryan is similar to Gilbert. That that's the comparison there is if you whatever you would be willing to trade for Logan Gilbert, you should probably be willing to trade the same thing for Ryan right now. Big as Gilbert, though. And if you're looking at like Ober, that's more in the same line as the the woos and those guys. Okay. yeah, I I think you part with probably new bars probably would be my guess of who their number one target would be, because like listen to their outfield, though Buxton's there. He's not been playing outfield. They've had him at DH. They're outfield right now based on starts there. Left field, Joey Gallo. Center field, Michael A. Taylor. Right field, Max Kepler, a guy that they were trying to trade in the offseason that we talked about what being a project a team here. that would have interest in Carlson. Can I get uh, Buxton? Not, not for these guys. Like, you'd have to include a lot more. Yeah. But I wonder if they would be interested in Carlson as a cost-controlled, everyday starter for them in the outfield. Or Tyler O'Neill in a package. Maybe. I would think they would want more control than that with a young, controllable outfielder. But, like, let's be honest. They're, they're probably going to want the same guys that everybody else does. Yeah. They're going to want Newpar. They're going to want Donovan. They're going to want Gorman. Yeah. Um, but this is another team that you could add to the list of having controllable starters that might be of interest for the St. Louis Cardinals, whether it's at the deadline or in the offseason. Um, and the Twins are in that weird position right now where they're kind of contending, kind of going for it. Maybe going to be a team that goes. For, I don't really know what to make of them. They're fifty-four yeah. and fifty, man. And like Sounds they're going to win like the Cardinals. They're going to win their division more than likely, and that doesn't mean a whole lot. Like they they can't really add to get themselves into the top notch. 
of contenders in the AL, but they can add to help themselves feel better about years to come. And that's why I think like a new bar, someone of that ilk, would, you would think they would want to be targeting, get more control, help add some more certainty to their lineup. I wonder what Bailey over, what the, what the prospects hall would have to be, or the, the trade hall would have to be from the Cardinals to be able to acquire a guy like that. Well, regardless, you should be calling all of these teams and trying to find ways to package together deals to get pitchers to do what John Morosi said would earlier. You do like Don, I guess they really can't trade for Donovan because they've already got their DH tied yeah. up. Would you do like Newbar for Ober? That was the deal. Yeah, I would. I would definitely be willing to do that because I, again, I, I think everybody's kind of open outside of Goldyard out on Walker to trade. And if it is one of those where you know what we think we can get an arm that we can put in pen for twenty twenty four, yeah, we'll part with Lars Newbar. And then like even then, you go okay, what's our outfield look like? We've got O'Neill in left, Edmund in center, Walker in right. And maybe you've got Burleson or if you wanted to keep Carlson at that point as your fourth outfielder. Like, I don't, I don't mind that. Like, again, I don't think it is so much of, oh, if you trade Lars Newbar, the no, pendulum swings so much. No. We're going to go from having great pitching to no offense. No, I, I think you can replace Newbar's production in terms of his on base with um, Donovan at the top of the order. And then Goldie can kind of take his on base spot up batting second. In my if opinion. you trade Newbar, does that mean you're keeping Carlson? I don't Not think necessarily. necessarily. You're yeah. trading both of them? I'd be open to it. So then you're like searching they, for an outfielder in the offseason, though? I think I'm searching for an outfielder no matter what. I don't know that the Cardinals feel the same way that yeah. I do. But, like, I think Donovan just takes a spot. In the outfield or just, yeah. yeah. If Donovan's health, if he can throw, which well, is obviously a prerequisite. Again, let's hope he gets that uh, arm. If Donovan can throw, then my outfield probably next year is Donovan, apparently, Tommy Edmond and Jordan Walker. And Tyler yeah. O'Neill. And Tyler O'Neill might be back in, in and, some capacity. And I don't mind if they decide to go, like, if they don't want Donovan in the outfield because his arm still is lingering with an issue. I don't mind going with O'Neill, Edmond, Walker, and even having Burleson as fourth outfielder. Sure. I think Burleson's proven he can be a solid fourth outfielder. I think Burleson is exactly what I want out of a solid fourth outfielder, yeah. in fact. Like, he needs to figure out how to pinch hit. I think he has one hit as a pinch hitter so far this well, year. Sometimes but he does. it's easier for others. To that point, though. He does put uh, bat to ball. Absolutely. So he does like some of it could just be bad luck. And I know people hate to hear that. Oh, geez. Another it, with the bad it luck. It is bad luck. Honestly, the fact that he has not gotten a hit in that, hit in that capacity. But you, you two would need like to, to see that turnaround. You two need to rename yourselves the bad luck bros. But I, I have no issues with that. Like he, he, what is the difference between what he has been so far this year and what you got last year from what's his face? Corey Dickerson. Yeah. He's Corey Dickerson, outside, but, but Dick- young, cheap, cost-controlled. And- outside that ridiculous, like, 19-for-19 19 19 <laughs> stretch Dickerson went on, basically the same guy. <laughs> All right, final thing point. here as we go through our Major League Baseball trade deadline. Roundup! Over in the Athletic, they Got put em. together their bold predictions for a Ooh. trade that every team could make at the deadline. Oh, I liked this one. It was interesting to me. They said that the Marlins should trade for Dylan Carlson, and in exchange, they should trade the Cardinals' Trevor Rogers. Now, Trevor Rogers was a super intriguing talent about two years ago, Alex. Last year and this year, it's just been okay, and now he's on the IL with a biceps injury that's basically taken him out for the season. Oh, good. How would you feel about Trevor Rogers, though, as a potential trade acquisition for Dylan Carlson? I mean, I'm concerned because it's a guy who... Hasn't been healthy over the last couple of years, but I'm intrigued of what he offers. And for 25 years old as a lefty who we know how much this Cardinals team loves lefties. Former first round pick. Got and some pedigree there. He does have swing and miss stuff. I, would you be using this as a starter or yeah. a starter? Yeah. I'd be fine with this Former because top 100 prospect. You're getting somebody for your rotation for Dylan Carlson. Maybe he doesn't have that upside you're hoping for elsewhere. But again, I don't know what the 
trade value is of Dylan Carlson. This, to me, is probably a fair deal on both sides. I think this is the pitching version of Dylan Carlson. You're hoping that a change of scenery plus some health next year gets him back to the player that he was a couple of years ago. And if it does... You've got a solid, like, number four starter in Trevor Rogers with some upside there still baked into it. So I would be fine with this. I actually think this would be a really solid deal. This for is the one Cardinals. of those rare win-wins in baseball. Yeah, agreed. I, I don't mind this deal if it's just Carlson that you're moving to Miami in terms of, like, you didn't want to package him anywhere else. Because I think you can get more quantity and potentially quality if you package him with a starter to send him to, like, New York, for example. But if you're just saying, you know what, we can't get that deal done, they just wanted a starter, the Yankees got, I don't know, throwing another outfielder. Sure. Let's go ahead and do this. Let's go. Let's swap our outfielder who's kind of lost his spot for the Marlins lefty who's lost his spot. He reminds me, he he feels like what you thought you could get from Libertor. Agreed. A lefty that's going to go about 130 50. innings, I would say, 130, 150 innings. Got some swing and miss. He's going to sit right around a four-year rate. Right? Perfect I think four he, or five. Yeah, I think he's like what they thought Libertor would be. And if you can get that well, and it's not named Libertor, I'm in. I think they thought Libertor was going to be like a three, four. <laughs> and well, let's young. be honest, that didn't work. You don't trade away an all-star for a three. You trade away an all-star for to an To be ace. fair, the Cardinals knew he wasn't going to be an all-star. Yeah. Coming up next, that was your roundup. Sorry, that's on me. I I didn't set you up. Yeah, yeah, it was really bad with that one. There's a snake in my boots. We've only got two more of those, so take every one of them with. uh, Until hold on to them. Until it until it makes its return daily on BK and Ferrario. Drop. You hold on to those trade deadline roundups the way that. John Mosellock holds on to every asset that he's ever had as the Cardinals president. I'm of the sheriff operations. of this town, and this town ain't big enough for both of Coming us. Coming up next, the Mariners hold the key to the trade deadline because they have the asset that everybody is looking for. How's that going to impact the Cardinals' ability to get it? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. So yesterday we talked to Mike Salk. He hosts a uh, show up in Seattle, Alex, about what the Cardinals could do to acquire one of those Mariners young starters that we've talked so much about. And the first name that he mentioned was Paul Goldschmidt. We we're like, oh, yeah, that's good. That's not happening, dude. And then we brought up the idea of like a Nolan Gorman, a Lars Newbar, a Brendan Donovan. And he's like, yeah, listen, I, I like all those players. They sound great for the Mariners. Unfortunately, he thinks that they're going to be looking for something more for some of these pitchers that they've got available. Now, Wu, Miller, maybe you could get them for some of the players that we just mentioned. But Logan Gilbert, if you're aiming high, he said they're looking for like Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis type of talent, Paul Goldschmidt type of talent for a Logan Gilbert. And I just don't think that's going to be the waters that the Cardinals are swimming in. I do think, though, that the Mariners hold the key to the trade deadline. And the reason why is because it sure sounds like teams more than maybe ever before are looking for controllable starting pitchers. Alex, I was listening to a podcast yesterday with Keith Law, and he was talking about the lack of prospects on the on the pitching side of things in Major League Baseball right now. And he said, when you look at the gap between AAA and the majors, for hitters that are trying to make the adjustment, it has never been wider because of the lack of pitching down in the minor leagues right now. So, for example, Mason Wynn, who's just raking over the last month, he mentioned how, hey, I would, I would be a little cautious here 
Because, yes, he is a, an exciting prospect, and Keith Law is very high on Mason Wynn. But some of the pitchers that he's raking against, it's not its not like going up against you know the, the Sonny Grays of the world or any of these Mariners pitchers. It's a little different right now down in the minor leagues. So that gap is bigger than it's ever been, and that's why these controllable pitchers that the Mariners have have so much value. You've seen them have success at the big league level. They're going to be on your team for years to come. And so when we think about what the Cardinals are going to have to offer for whether it's these Mariners guys, the Twins guys, whoever your starting pitcher is that you want the Cardinals to acquire, it's going to take a haul. Think Gorman, think Newt Bar, think Donovan, and then add more to the mix. That's probably the type of offer that they're going to have to make. And you got to get comfortable with that. And look, every team goes about it differently. The Seattle Mariners were able to acquire all of these young, controllable starting pitchers and be able to develop them. And now they're searching for offense, whereas the Cardinals have developed the young, controllable hitters that have turned out to be really good bats, but you have no pitching. This is how trades work in pro sports. You've got something that other teams want and you need that. So you're going to make a deal. And here's the issue for the Cardinals. You've spent so many years over the past four or five seasons, always saying that's too much for us. It's too much for us. Meanwhile, we've seen guys like Juan Soto get dealt elsewhere. We've seen certain guys sign via free agency because you weren't willing to get to that next level. And what did it get you? It got you in this this circle of insanity of doing the same thing over and over and over. And frankly, Seattle's been there too, of doing the same thing over and over and over. That's why John Morosi floats that out there, that these two teams make the most sense. Both teams are trying to take that next step. And to take that next step, you got to be bold. Do you think Seattle really wants to trade Logan Gilbert? Absolutely not. The same can be said about the Cardinals with Nolan Gorman. But you realize that if you don't make a move, you're going to be stuck going into free agency, overpaying for certain players to fix your issues. That player comes in, doesn't fix the issues, and now you're back to that circle of insanity. So rather than sit here and say, well, I'll just go spend $80 million on two top-end starters and get this fixed. No, because that one pitcher you assumed you were going to get goes elsewhere. The other guy you got isn't the player you thought he was. And now you're doing this again. So why not trade somebody who, yeah, great player. But I'm also getting somebody in return that is that is expected and projected to be a great player. Think about this, guys. If the Cardinals at the deadline, let's say they do decide to trade Dylan Carlson. And maybe it is for Trevor Rogers. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but let's just walk down this hypothet- hypothetical lane, right? And you can replace Rogers' name with somebody else that's the equivalent of him, a solid mid-tier starting pitcher that's shown promise but needs to get back to what they once were, right? Basically the pitching equivalent to Dylan Carlson. So they get that guy that projects to be a four or five, and then maybe they do make my, one of these bigger types of trades. They, they get a Miller. They get a Woo. They get an Ober. One of the guys that is a young, controllable asset that right now is probably a three, but you project to hopefully have the upside of a number two. So you've got two starting pitchers that you've acquired at the deadline, like John Morosi said, that projects to be in your rotation going into 2024. So you've got those two guys that we just mentioned. You add Michaelis to the mix. You add Mats to the mix. Now going into the offseason, Instead of having to get two, three, maybe even four starting pitchers via free agency or trade, you just got to get the one. You got to get one guy. And now the other thing that is really beneficial about adding the two types of pitchers that we just talked about, they are young and cost controlled. So they're going to make a million bucks next year, each of them. So you've got now money to be able to spend on the open market. 
to go get a Blake Snell, to go get the Japanese pitcher that's coming over, to go get an Aaron Noah. So instead of paying $50 million to, for two free agency starters, now I'm just spending the $30 million on that top end of the rotation guy. Maybe you bet on Lucas Giolito. I don't know who the guys are. There's real upside baked into the rotation that we just discussed. And the downside isn't as bad as what we talked about this year. This was a very fragile rotation from the moment that it was constructed, and it failed. That is something that the Cardinals should be trying to do, but... It requires trading Dylan Carlson. It requires probably trading at least one of, maybe multiple of, Dil- or, uh, Lars Newpar, Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman. Maybe you throw Tyler O'Neill in one of these packages. Maybe you consider putting a Tommy Edmond in there. Maybe you consider putting one of your young starting pitching prospects into these mixes. But that's what it's going to take to be able to really overhaul this rotation. And I really like what you said there about, you know, raising the the ceiling for this rotation, long as you also have that floor with it, too, yep. to where, like, guys like Wu, Gilbert, if you bring him in, you at least go, okay, the floor, we know we just got ourselves a number three slash maybe a number two. The the ceiling is this guy figures it out. And when I say figured out, I mean, he's already figured it out, but figures out his stuff to take it to the next level. Maybe next year you end up getting him as a one. Oh, and maybe you go in the offseason, you sign the one because you're not expecting Gilbert to be that guy, too. It's not bad to have two number ones leading the front of, end of your rotation. Look at Philly. Yeah, look at the Phillies, for example, last year in the playoffs. That's why they're able to go on a deep run like that. And also, too, with the trading of prospects, and I hope the Cardinals don't fall into this, when you look at their system as a whole, they have a lot of young cost control bats up at the major leagues, and really win is like in Herrera or the two position players left that are close. Outside that, there's kind of a drop-off. I hope they don't look at that and go, that's why we can't move them because we don't have much more coming through the system. My my counterpoint to that would be, as you just said coming into this segment, it is so hard to develop pitching right now, but bats are a little bit easier to find and develop. So that would be my counterpoint to the Cardinals if that's why they're concerned about moving some of these bats is it's easier to develop a bat than it is to develop a swing-and-miss pitcher, and pitchers break a lot easier than bats do. So here's my question, guys, because we're getting a lot of the same th- same pushback from Cardinals fans, and I, I do to a degree understand this because I don't want to part with this player either. But the vast majority of the text that we're getting uh, on the text line, 314-399-9646, is guys, do whatever you want to do, but do not trade Nolan Gorman. That guy should be an untouchable. And I get the sentiment. I really do. Here's the problem. Who were those people two months ago when Gorman wasn't hitting? Fair. And here's the problem. If you make him untouchable and that's the guy that these teams are asking for, and they probably are, let's be honest, he's a really good young player that's got the potential to hit 40 home runs. He's a young Kyle Schwarber, basically, is what we're talking about here, but who is better defensively. He's a he's a competent defender at worst. If, you, if you're not willing to trade that piece and that's what these teams want, well, then how are you getting the pitching that we're talking about? And you can't say free agency because people that just assume this team can spend money. The other thing that you're let's go down the hypothetical path that Bill DeWitt tells John Mose, like spend whatever you need, get your pitchers. You also have to hope that that pitcher wants to come to St. Louis for the money you're offering him. Because if you think Nola and Snell are just going to come to St. Louis, I think you're sadly mistaken. It's going to it's there's going to be five, six, seven other teams that are wanting to give those guys that type of money. And even if they do, even if you get one of them and maybe they do, I I hope that they get one of those guys that you're talking about. You've still got to fill in the rest of the rotation because otherwise now you're a, a really top heavy rotation that's lacking basically the middle ground. Right. You are what the Yankees are in their in their lineup right now where, yeah, it's great to have a superstar But if that guy goes down, you're screwed. The Yankees are living that life right now, and they have no depth in their lineup because they got old really fast, 
and now they can't hit. So you could become that in your rotation. And we saw how fragile that can be with what they decided to do this year. The Cardinals have to overhaul this rotation in a meaningful way with young and proven arms that have cost control. And in order to get those guys, it is the single most valuable thing in all of Major League Baseball. Yes, even more valuable than having a young left-handed hitter that can hit 240 on a season with 40 bombs. It is more valuable than that to have that young cost-controlled starter. So to get it, you have to give up a ton. So yes, Nolan Gorman, if these teams are asking for him in trades, I would be super hesitant. I would push back. I would try to veer the conversations to Lars Newbar, to Dylan Carlson, or to Tommy Edmond, or to Brendan Donovan even. I would try. But if these teams say no, then at some point, if I'm putting my John Mosellock hat and bow tie on, I have to say, all right, let's have a meeting about this. Let's talk about it. Who are we willing to trade Nolan Gorman for? Who's the pitcher that we would try to target in such a deal? And then you go try like hell to target him. That's what I would be doing right now if I was in those conversations with Mo. From the 314, by trading Newt Bar, Carlson, Monty, Hicks, Flaherty, Geo, Helsley, plenty of other assets other than Gorman. The names that you just listed with the exception of Newt Bar isn't getting you the type of pitcher and, you need to get. Including Newt Bar potentially as well. Yeah. You like, package those together? Newt doesn't have the value that other teams have for Gorman because of the way that you and the audience feel about Nolan Gorman. The way that you feel about Gorman is the way that other teams value yeah. Gorman. And the way that you feel about Lars Newt Bar is the way that other teams feel about Lars Newt Bar. Exactly. And even if you package Hicks and Montgomery and Carlson to a team, you know what you're going to get? A Clark Schmidt, a Clayton Beater. And you know what those guys aren't? A number one or a number two. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you can't. And one, you're not going to be able to part with free agents to be for a young cost control like number two pitcher. That's just not going to work because teams aren't going to give that up for rentals. If you want a cost control pitcher, you've got to give up control with a bat too. And that's why, like Seattle, makes all the sense in the world. That's why Minnesota makes all the sense in the world. Teams that are looking to revamp their offense on the fly, not just for this year but next year, kind of like what you're doing in your rotation. Those teams are going to want bats that have some controllable and aren't going to cost a ton at this point in their careers as well. Yeah, I mean if. If the Twins, for example, called you and said, hey, we'll do Gorman and Newt Bar for Joe Ryan, something that the Cardinals should have a conversation about. I don't know that they definitely should do it. Like, it's, it's that's a really hard trade to make. And I typically lean more towards that. I want the position player in the deal because they are less fragile and they typically stay kind of on the same level that they're at for a longer period yeah, of time. For example... If you traded for Sandy Alcantara after last season, you wouldn't feel be, be feeling great about that deal right now. Look at the Luis Arise for Pablo Lopez deal. The, the position player typically wins out uh, on these deals, right? But in this scenario where the Cardinals are at, you kind of have to consider it. Dude, Joe Ryan's got a lot of red on his baseball savant page. He's a yeah. stud. He's oh an absolute stud. God. You know? All right, coming up next, we're going to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trust wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. T-Bone, what do you got for us today? You guys like to play mini golf? Love I do. mini golf. It's the only type of golf I'm good at. That's one of me and Kara's uh, favorite 
activities that we do outside of the house. Nice. Katie and I have a lot of other activities well, we enjoy. Be prepared yeah. for a BK. Like G- give, give, me a, give me a list of three. <laughs> yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, busted. Can't say it on the air. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> sure. Okay. Sure. I hope her parents are listening to you right they now. Are. They, they love the show. They you're love a, the show. You're a sicko. <laughs> her, I forgot what we... Oh, the Bluetooth commercials that I've done in the past. Uh, her uncle heard one of them. <laughs> came up to me at a party goes... You know, it's kind of messed up me hearing you do blue chew advertisement while you're married to my uh, my niece. I said, I don't know what's messed up about it. I'm just endorsing blue chew, making sure everybody's living a happy lifestyle. Victory Men's Feeling Health, VictoryRx.com yeah. is the place where you can yeah. go to get your ED medication. Play hard. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, so, <laughs> hashtag T-Bone. So this mini golf thing that I, I want to talk about today here I on the Junk Storm. to to use the hashtag T-Boner and they... Yeah, what's up with that? Can't Promo that. I, I was not told by Victor. Would it be a capital we can't do that. R? I was told by 101. Like, hey, you know. Uh, well, I think they also told you you can't say it on the air, but. Yeah, well. Here we are. <laughs> T-Bone. It, so in Las Vegas, they are getting ready. They are starting a project that they're hoping to open in 2024. It is a three-story adults-only mini golf venue called Swingers, which has five different putt-putt courses kinda, and has live DJs in it. I know the name we got to work on, but. <laughs> Or, I feel like it's perfect. Or actually. maybe it's spot on for what people are expecting. They, but I, I think this looks it looks fascinating. It's three stories, five mini golf, co- uh, mini putt putt places, are courses, and there are live DJs that are going to be there playing music all the Where's whole time. At? It's D- in it Las in Vegas. Uh, it doesn't say if it's in a, all I've seen on it is they're going to the open it in Las Vegas. Forty thousand square feet is how big it is. So I'm assuming they're building their own spot somewhere. This is genius. And they're they're hoping that this takes off. And it sounds like a lot of investors are interested there. You're targeting 15 more global locations that by 2026. Like, go, just go anywhere where there's mini golf courses. They're always crowded. They I mean, are there's the always new one crowded. That opened up. Where is it? Over by um, it's by the Foundry. I think that's it. Is that yeah. what it was? It's oh, like the glow that. in the dark one. Or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Where it's supposed it's cool. to be? It's Every, like uh, Top Golf, but putt putt. Everybody yeah. lo- knows I love me some Branson. Go drive down the strip in Branson. Every freaking golf mini golf course has a line out the building. And you know my favorite Branson equivalent, which is just on the beach. It's Gulf Shores. It's the same thing. Gulf Shores up top. High five. No, My it God, wasn't that dude. good. Mini Gulf Shores. It's it's um putt-putt and go-karts. You can't uh, go wrong with no. those two things. I can't do go-karts anymore, man. What? I'm too tall and my knees are like curled up. We'll figure it out. I can't get yeah. in them anymore, man. Plus, what's the... What's the excitement for an adult to go kart? Like you technically, Being you with your kids, dude. Yeah. You go kart every single Luca, day. I can't wait to go and go karts with Luca. I, I, oh, I would like not a, do that. I pretend I'm like in an F1 car while yeah. I'm out there. Well, that's because you're, you fit the in the golf. You fit in the golf cart or the uh, go kart the way that I did when I was ten. Even if I didn't, I'd find a way to make no. it. Work. See, like I go, I go kart every day. That's hey, not fun. Bumper cars is different. I just want you to know, text line. This Buzz Killington that you're hearing, hearing right now, this is what he was like in Nashville. No, well, what is Buzz Killington? No, I just said That's I love fine. me some mini golf. I will play mini golf any day of the week. Go karts just suck. Putt putt or mini golf? What do you guys call it? I, I call, call it mini golf. I've call never it. called it putt putt. Oh, really? I yeah. call it putt putt. Mm-hmm. I go putt putt. I've yeah. never called Kara it putt putt. Kara calls it mini golf and it throws me off sometimes. <laughs> she goes, I want to go play mini golf. What's that? St. Louis, Kansas City, only Illinois. That's uh, why. That's probably it. Yeah. I, I like putt putt. Just. Kind of I mean, gets you in the mood for it. Unlike, unlike BK, if someone said, let's no. go play mini golf, I wouldn't short circuit. I'd go, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, let's do it. BK be like, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> is that what the plastic clubs? What's butt butt? 
Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of one's got to go. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. But coming up next, the Padres seem to be announcing themselves as sellers. Uh-oh. Talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, it seems like the San Diego Padres are announcing themselves as a legitimate seller at this point. It's been reported in a number of different places that they are at least listening right now on Hater, on Soto, some of their pending free agents. Uh, Blake Snell would be certainly be included on that list. This is bad news for the Cardinals. And the reason why is because this presents a new alternative to Jack Flaherty or Jordan Montgomery specifically. And then at the back end of your bullpen, it was previously, you know, I think Jordan Hicks was probably at or near the top of most teams list of the best relievers that are going to be available. Well, Josh Hader certainly changes that. And then you look at the outfield mix that the Cardinals have available to teams. Hey, even with if you want cost controlled, Cardinals have some of that. You want thump, you want on base. Cardinals have all of those guys available for you, potentially, if they want to make them available. Juan Soto certainly changes things. When you get superstars that are on the market, much like how the trade market was kind of gummed up by the potential inclusion of Shohei Otani, the same thing could take place with the Padres, especially if they continue to be a little wishy-washy with their decision-making here. If they're on the fence and they want to see what happens this weekend before making a firm decision one way or the other, what the Cardinals could run into here is they call a team and say, hey, We've got Jordan Montgomery available for you. What are your potential offers here? The team says, okay, well, here's kind of what we would think if we were in, if we were going to go down that road. The Cardinals say, okay, let, me, let us get back to you. And then that team says, actually, let us get back to you. Because first, we want to see what the asking price is going to be on Blake Snell, who's a better lefty with more swing and miss stuff that can help us in a game one of a postseason series instead of Montgomery, who might help in a game three or four of a playoff series for that team. The same thing is true on Jordan Hicks. Maybe the Rangers say, actually, Cardinals, let's wait up a second. We want to check out this Josh Hader situation before we decide to go any further with you. Maybe somebody was interested in Nolan Gorman or Lars Nupar, and then that team says, actually, hold on, hold on, hold on. Mariners, for example. We want to see what's going on here with with Juan Soto. Before we decide to trade the Cardinals, woo, for Lars Nupar, let us find out if we could get Juan Soto if we decided to include Logan Gilbert in those trade conversations. So I hope that the Padres decide and maybe they'd go on a little bit of a three game winning streak this weekend, whatever. I hope they decide to buy instead of selling because this selling possibility could potentially have long, t- long-term consequences for the Cardinals. And if only they would have played the Cardinals for four games before the trade deadline, they would have thought they were a buyers after that. I, I actually look at this as the other side for the Cardinals, and I think it's good for them because when you have these superstars available like Soto and Hayter and Snell, teams are going to call because that's the that's the shiny new toy available that wasn't there before, especially Otani's off the table, and now I could get one Soto? I'm going to take a shot at that. But teams call that up and say, hey, we want Juan Soto. Let's just say the Mariners, for example. Great, we want Gilbert and Wu. Teams are going to be like, whoa, I'm not parting with that. 
And then you call the Cardinals and say, hey, what do you have available for us? Because this is too pricey. Cardinals say, yeah, we're willing to give you Newt Bar and somebody else for Wu. I wonder if that benefits teams to the point where San Diego knows what they had to pay for Juan Soto and say, well, we got to get the same return for that. Teams aren't going to be willing to pay that. And so the price dips down a little bit. So I actually look at this as maybe a positive for the Cardinals to they've got that next step down, but a team that is so expensive wanting what you've got, the cost for what the Cardinals are asking maybe doesn't seem as steep. See, I I think it's bad for the Cardinals because I think everybody's going to wait to see what happens with those guys. Because sure, the price may end up being steep for that's perfect for Mo. Mo loves to wait to the last minute. Well, well, that's that's my fear is is now you're looking at the Padres and you're going, well, wait, they've got three of the best toys on the market. Well, okay, I'm going to go to them, and they may say their price is super high, but I'm not pulling the trigger with the Cardinals until I see what actually happens with those situations in San Diego. Because though the price is going to be set high. There's a chance it drops once you get closer to that deadline because as that clock starts to tick towards when the deadline ends, they're going to have to drop their asking price if they want to get any sort of assets in return for some of those pieces. So I think it's the worst case for the Cardinals because, one, you've got that where you're going to have to wait to see what happens, and then maybe you get teams that end up bidding against each other because they lost in one of those markets against the with the San Diego Padres. But I also think, too, like now there's also, because the Cardinals haven't jumped the market either on any side, there's also now kind of like layouts for what deals are going to look like. We now know basically what a Jack Flaherty slash Montgomery deal could look like if you package him with a reliever. If you just trade Hicks alone, we now know what the deadline, what the deal should probably look like yeah. because of the Robertson trade. I think the Cardinals are kind of stuck in this bad middle position where now they've got to wait on what happens with San Diego, and also there are like what the deal's precedents before them kind of set up to what their packages could look like in return. I'm I'm a little worried that the Cardinals end up getting put on the back burner here. And then they, they have to wait, 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 wait. Now you get to the trade deadline, and as T-Bone mentioned, typically the prices go down a little bit right at the end because then the, the teams that are selling with the free agents say, okay, well, I mean, if we could just get anything that's better than a second-round pick that you would get in the qualifying offer situation, specifically for Flaherty or Montgomery, uh, let's go ahead and get the deal done prior to the deadline so that way we don't end up stuck here kind of wondering what the hell just happened. H- how did we end up in this scenario? I don't think that's going to happen, but the way that it does is a team like the Padres deciding last minute, actually, you know what? We're going to go ahead and make these guys available. So they're posturing right now. And by the way, they play the Rangers this weekend, which does not help the Cardinals case. They're posturing right now in San Diego uh, could gum up the market. Once again, first, it was the angels that were doing this when they decided, okay, you know what? We're just going to go for it. We're going to keep Shohei Otani. We're going to go full steam ahead. That helped the market start getting going. And we've seen that over the last 24 hours or so. You've started to see some of the moves that have been made. There's buzz right now across Major League Baseball that the White Sox are once again starting to hit that activity. Sounds like the Dodgers are in on some of their bullpen and starting pitching arms. The Cardinals need to start getting this thing going, man. I'm not saying you got to make the move right now, right now, right now. But sooner rather than later would be helpful. Getting one of these deals done, for example, over the weekend, because they have so many that have to get done before Tuesday... I think it could be it, it would be a a positive sign for the Cardinals if they're able to move one of these arms by the end of the this weekend. This is where evaluating talent really comes into play if you're a Cardinals team because if you look at the Rangers right now and they are heavy on Jordan Hicks according to Bob Nightingale, if I'm the Cardinals and I can evaluate talent properly and identify a pitcher that makes the most sense for me, fits the spot that I'm looking for and isn't their top guy that everybody's going to be asking for, 
You strike that deal immediately. It's kind of what Doug Armstrong accomplished in certain trades, the Zach Dean one. Zach Dean wasn't the the highest commodity that the Vegas Golden Knights had, but they identified him as somebody that made sense, and you make that deal quickly. So uh, that's where evaluating talent really comes into play because if the Cardinals, who's the guy that you like at the Rangers? Bradford? Yeah, I mean, I, to clarify here, I think he's fine. <laughs> Well, sounds like a Stephen Matz 2.0, but if the Cardinals... Stephen Matz would be a positive in, in ending for him. <laughs> if the Cardinals looked at that and identified the talent as, yeah, we feel like this guy's ceiling can get somewhere and actually be right with that, you pull that deal right now before other teams try and start upping the ante or putting more names available. If you have missed anything from our show today, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. John Morosi was excellent earlier today. He said the Cardinals need to finish out the deadline by adding at least one, probably two starters that will be in their rotation on opening day of 2024. That's what would make this a success. So you can find that full interview with Morosi on the podcast page. We were also able to talk to Mizufa head football coach, Eli Drinkwitz, who had some comments about why he is optimistic about his team in 2024 and specifically how they will use Luther Burden in their new offense. But coming up next, let's play a game of one's got to go. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Count that, that big bang. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we're talking to the guy that covers the Dodgers for the Athletic. Speaking of the Dodgers, Ken Rosenthal sounds like they're in agreement with Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly. Well, there goes you trading pitchers to the Dodgers. Uh, Can we stick with this for a second? Cardinals asked yeah. too much. We'll get to one's got to go Good, here. Because I accidentally minute. knocked the bed down. <laughs> well, start it back up. Dan. Uh, okay, Come on, yeah. man. Let me go to the Dodgers depth chart real quick to make sure. I think they need more than one starter. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they do. They do. They got two. Joe Kelly's a starter. They got like five guys without an arm. <laughs> yeah, they've got a bunch of dudes on the injured list. Uh, do we know what the expectations are for when Kershaw will be back? I think Have it's you seen September. On that? Okay. August or September. I'm not 100% So sure. Kershaw will be in their playoff rotation. Urias will be in their playoff rotation. Gonsolin, yeah, they're probably done. Um... Good job, Cardinals. That stinks. Love stinks. That's a real bummer right there. Because all you could have, you could have sent them. I'll be interested to see what the return is on a deal like that, because that could be, it it could give you an idea of what the deal would be if the Cardinals were to trade like Jack Flaherty and one of their bullpen arms. But, But the question is, do the White Sox want position players or pitching? Because maybe they want more position players. I don't know, but you can typically get a little bit of an idea on like, the value of those position players, yeah. even if they like weren't we, the specific guys that the Cardinals were going to get. Like in the Giolito trade, you, you got the top guy, but you got him at a catcher because you were desperate for that position. Exactly. So I'll, I'll be curious to see what they end up getting out of this. Uh, again, if you missed it, T-Bone uh, mentions that the Dodgers close to an agreement for Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly, according to Ken Rosenthal. All right, let's get to a one's got to go. One got to go at the Major League Baseball trade deadline for the Cardinals. Arenado, Gorman, Walker, or win 
Arenado, Gorman, Walker, or Win? I got to get rid of Gorman. I think it's the best return available to you. You've got the replacement in terms of defense in place with Brendan Donovan. And I could get something that's really going to make me competitive for 2024. So I'm in the minority, especially when it comes to our air comfort service text line. But Gorman's got to go. I'd get rid of win. I, I think when I look at Gorman. You stick it with Paul DeYoung. I mean, you could. I, I mean, I, I think if you can get something of significant value with win, you can just pick up Paul DeYoung's option. I know nobody wants to hear that, but he's been really good this year. And San Francisco has interest in him here at the deadline. So I, I think with with Gorman, if I can avoid getting, getting rid of Kyle Schwarber Jr., I'm going to. And if that's the case of these four names, Walker I'm not getting rid of, Arnado I'm not getting rid of, I haven't sw- seen win at the big league level, so I don't know how he adjusts. When's the one that's got to go for me? I think so So much of this depends on what you would get in value, but I agree with Alex in terms of what you would be able to get back for Gorman. So I would probably go with the Gorman route would be the one that's got to go. And I don't feel good about that. I want to no, make that very sucks. clear. But if the Cardinals didn't need starting pitching, we wouldn't even be having these conversations. Nolan Gorman's your starting second baseman for the next five years or more. But because they need it so badly, that's kind of where I'm at. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Four ones got to go. Somebody brings this up. I think it's super easy. Curious if you guys feel the same way. One's got to go St. Louis Sports Edition. Cardinals, Blues, City, or the Battlehawks? I would be Battlehawks. Agreed. Wait, is that why you... That was what you were yeah. saying. Oh, okay. He was going to get rid of blues. His weird, his weird pause. I thought he was going to get rid of like yeah. the I mean, Cardinals I just, or something. I mean, look, I love the battle hawk. But if, if I got the choice of NFL or XFL, I'm going to go the NFL, which might be, you know, sacrilegious to say right now. But I, I enjoy watching City. And especially when you got at that level of a professional sports league. Yeah. I, I, to me, the XFL is like minor league football. So, like, don't get me wrong. Wouldn't mind going to a game experiencing it. Sure. But I'm not going to, like, sit down and watch it. City, MLS, I'm doing that. Baseball, Blues, doing that. So. We're in total agreement Okay, here. so I can't easy. believe they're even in the same conversation. Okay. Unless City's playing Club America. Then, like. <laughs> that was. That Ooh. was quite the game last nah. night. Wake <laughs> up, call. Yeah, that was quite the game last night. All right, one's got to go video game uh, system edition. Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, or Xbox. Oh, this is easy. How many of these does T-Bone know? Say the first two At again. Least Nintendo, I know that Sega. One. I don't know Sega. Yeah. PlayStation or Xbox. I did figured he did Sega? know Sega. I played Sega. I hated Sega, though, because it, like Sega was the same time as Super Nintendo slash N64. So I was already big on, on the Nintendo. And the bigger thing, if I'm not mistaken, for Sega was Sonic. I was really never into Sonic, so Sega would be the one that I'd get rid of here. I'd get rid of Sega because I just don't really know how it plays. I have played on a Nintendo before. Do you um, remember the Sega Dreamcast? You make it sound like it's a rotary phone. I have it played is, on the Nintendo well, it before. Is old. It is like that was not the main gaming system when I was growing up. That was the PlayStation 2 and the Xbox. What was the Xbox? 360? Yeah, the, yeah no. 360. Well, it wasn't just the Xbox. 360 was right the next one. 360. I couldn't remember what yeah. the... PlayStation uh, 2 and the Xbox were the kind of same time, and then, and then Xbox, and Xbox 1 360. and 360, yeah. So... Do you remember the Sega Dreamcast, Alex? Yes, yeah, that, that's what I typically... I didn't play on, like, the actual the Sega. Original. I did the Sega Dreamcast, and I just... Boy, you hear people complain about the controllers. That controller was wild. It's like the start of an Xbox, but it was like wider and like in like this weird <laughs> spaceship form. I would go Sega as well because it was before my time. 
The rest of these were like prime. This is our childhood for me and Alex. Um, Sega was probably like, I was probably five years too old or yeah. too young to, to well, really get in the prime of the Sega. And a lot of people are naming games on Sega. The thing about Sega was all of the games you played on Sega with the exception of Sonic, you played on Nintendo. Oh, somebody somebody mentioned the GameCube. That's you Nintendo, that? though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, loved the GameCube. That was a good one as well. Yeah, like it went Super Nintendo, N64, GameCube, reason, and then PlayStation. I think I remember a buddy of mine having a GameCube, but I don't remember. Oh, like, yeah. I feel like I can remember playing that vividly at a French Super house Smash when I was Brothers really young. was the big thing on GameCube when I was what like was in the one grade that school. Used, That's like, the Wii. Yeah, the Nintendo Had that Wii. too. Hated that. Used to throw it at the television. So, do we make other consoles anymore, or is it just PlayStation and Xbox at this point? It's basically yeah, it's just pretty those. Much. Well, yeah, and then you PC, got the PCs, PCs, and well, then you got computer. the handheld stuff. Well, no, but I mean, like those are specifically built for gaming. Gaming PCs. They make new like yeah. GameCubes and Nintendo Switches, but yeah, it's pretty much okay. yeah Nintendo, PlayStation, and um, Xbox are and the still like, three big ones. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they've even given up on kind of like the handheld ones. Like I remember using to have a PS. Well, Nintendo PS? Switch is the big one now yeah, in terms of handheld. Nintendo DS. Game Boy is essentially Boy. what Nintendo Switch is yeah. now. PS, I remember what it was called, PS Visa, I want to say, for some reason. That yeah, that was that yeah. was before the, it was because it was the PSP, where it was basically a handheld PSP, PlayStation. that's what it was. And yeah. then it was the PS Vita, but then they got the Nintendo Switch, and now there that's what it is. nothing better than the Game Boy, though. The original. Oh, yeah. Playing Pokemon on there. <sighs> Dude, you just sit on there for hours, just hours. You got to catch them all. I would get home from school and probably not leave my bedroom, whether it was television or Game Boy, GameCube, Nintendo, until about nine o'clock at night. I remember waking up the way that I would wake up whenever I was in like, you know, first, second grade, whatever, is my my mom would put on Pokemon like the early morning. Saturday mornings. Saturday morning, there was Pokemon, Jackie Chan Adventures. Oh, man, I had myself a a good day. A little bromance moment there. I love the 90s. (laughs) The 90s were the best, man. Late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, they were so good. Somebody said handhelds are huge right now, particularly the gaming uh, PC handheld, such as the Steam Steam Deck. Deck. Steam Deck, and then I'm telling you, Nintendo Switch is like, they're already trying to, they're already in, they're already making a bigger, better Nintendo Switch from what that's already out there. Were you an Xbox or a PlayStation? I was PlayStation. Guy? Were you Xbox or PlayStation? PlayStation. I was always I an still Xbox have PlayStation. Guy. I I hated the Xbox because of the controller, and sure. it's because I, I grew like if up. You, if you start with, with one, Super you stick Nintendo, with it. and I just it was that that simple hold on type of controller. I was always on the Xbox side of things, and it was my go-to. Yeah. What was your go-to game on PlayStation? Oh. Oh, you're taking me down a path. Uh, I was NCAA football. I was, was like NA- the number one game that I would play. NHL hits, okay. 2003, 2004. But then, like, I remember was remember quarterback club from like this is like '99. No, see, my the, the big football until I got to Madden in video games was NFL Blitz. That was the Nintendo 64, yeah. where we're like after whistles, you just basically like power remember slam street, people. NBA Street, NBA Street, NFL oh, Street. Those such were great. A great game. Yeah, yeah. Quarterback club was 99. Yeah, that was. Uh, I was in. Had Brett just, Favre yeah. on the cover. You guys throwing out games I've never even heard of. I, I, I was big into the. Uh, I was big into the shooter games when I was younger, like Grand Theft Auto and Call of Duty. Now I'm more into the sports video games. I was games. so terrible at all of the shoot 'em up games. Oh, I'm awful at it. I was terrible. It's like Call of Duty, just no yeah. bueno. Not yeah. good at Resident Evil games. I used to just sit on those forever, too. All right. That's enough of our way back win. Oh, come on. Memories. Does it really have to be? So it's fun. Now we got to talk about the Cardinals again. 
because of the timing, Fabian, Fabian Ardaya, who covers the Dodgers for the Athletic, is going to have to co- cover the news of Lance uh, Lynn and Joe Kelly being lot, traded Chicago. to the Dodgers. So we will be catching up with him on Monday. Hopefully there is something right, to discuss one's gotta go part two. between the Cardinals and the Dodgers. But coming up next, there's a Lars Dupar comparison that was made in the paper earlier today. And I'll be honest, I just think it falls a little bit short for me. We'll discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you've missed anything from today's show, check it out of the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, earlier today, I was reading in the uh, St. Louis Post-Dispatch a piece by Lynn Worthy, and he's done great work covering the Cardinals, especially as we get closer uh, to the deadline. Yesterday, he was talking with Ollie Marmel prior to the game about Lars Newtbar, and they brought up the comparison between Newtbar and Matt Carpenter. And Ollie apparently said, yeah, there are some similarities between those two guys. And what they were really talking about was, hey, they've both got a great batter's eye. They take their walks. And maybe most importantly, early in Matt Carpenter's career, he was not the power hitter that he ultimately became. He didn't hit more than 12 home runs in a season until he was 29 years old. That was the first time that he got to at least 12 home runs in a season. His first three years in the big leagues, it was six, 11 and eight home runs. Now, for me, that's where the comparison really ends between Lars Nupar and Matt Carpenter. Both great batters. I both didn't show as much power early on in their careers as you would maybe hope to see later as they continue to progress. The thing that's different for me is, man, Matt Carpenter in year two of being a big leaguer broke the Cardinals franchise records for doubles in a season. Those doubles, as you continue to get bigger and stronger and mature, tend to go over the fence a little bit. Like, it doesn't mean that all 55 of them became home runs, but like 15 of them for Matt Carpenter did. So instead of being an 11 home run player, he became a 25 to 30 home run player for the prime of his career. Lars Newport's not doing that, guys. Lars Newport hit 16 doubles in 108 games last year. He has 13 doubles in 73 games this year. Lars is hitting the ball hard, but he's on the ground so much. He kind of has that Jordan Walker issue that it's not really becoming that doubles power that we all hoped that it would be. He's like a 15 home run guy. And I think that might ultimately be where he lands, Alex. I don't think the comparison of Lars to Carpenter really holds as much weight as we would have hoped that it would be. I thought that was the hope coming into the season. Now I think he's just a really high on base percentage guy that maybe like an Adam Eaton is a closer comparison for him. I mean, frankly, to me, he's Brendan Donovan. Uh, they're they're the same guy just in terms of they recognize the strikes on really well. I mean, I guess you could say Donovan's got a little bit more pop, but it's only because he's got 11 home runs this season. But I just, I see those two as so similar. And that's why when it comes up to trade speculation of certain guys, we trade away. You could trade one of them, but if you trade both of them, you're losing something that you don't have in your lineup. If you take both Newt Bar and Donovan out of it. And that's, I, I mean, I just, I don't think I've ever looked at Lars Nupar as a home run power guy or even a doubles guy. I always looked at Lars Nupar as a leadoff guy who was going to get on base. And then you get Brendan Donovan last year and you're like, oh, we got two of these guys now. Is that a mean? Yeah. Adam Eaton was a a really solid player. And if you guys remember that when the national traded for him, they traded a haul to be able to get him because he was on such a team friendly deal. Giolito was part of that package. And it ended up 
you know, not really working out for the Nationals because I think it was injuries that yeah. ultimately kind of like ended his career when he was 32 years old. But Adam Eaton was a really nice baseball player at one point in his career. He just never really had the pop that people were hoping for. He ended up being a 10 to 15 home run guy instead of a 20 plus home run guy. But he got on base like 36 percent of the time over the course of his career. I think that's who Lars Newtbar is. And if that's what he becomes, this is where I find the conversation to be really interesting. What is the value for the Cardinals in a player like that when you do have Brendan Donovan? If this team didn't have Brendan Donovan, we'd be talking about Lars Newtbar as the future leadoff hitter in the present leadoff hitter for the Cardinals for years to come. Good outfielder defensively, has some speed. It's for a little bit of power, but not really that much. You'd always like to have more. And the on-base percentage is there. Boom, leadoff hitter, especially against right-handed pitching. I just, when you have Brendan Donovan and you have Lars Newpar, I do think it opens yourself up to potentially being able to trade one of those two. And I don't know who the Cardinals value more out of the two. I don't know who they should value more of the two. I prefer Brendan Donovan because of the flexibility that he provides. But I, I could see them going either direction in that regard. Yeah, and I think they may even value, I think you're right, they probably do value Donovan more because of that flexibility. But I don't know because of just the uncertainty that the outfield has been over the last couple of years. They could maybe finally select somebody that we've talked about you've got to choose somebody and they choose Newt Barr as a guy that's going to be a cornerstone in the outfield or in center field sounds like he's going to get around as the starting center fielder every day moving forward now so I, I think they don't want to move either that's the way it sounds like and I think they're trying to get back to that old version of when they had Fowler and Carpenter with two high on base guys at the top of the order and then you surround them back behind them with Goldie Arnato. Contreras, Walker. And I think there's a chance like that could end up working out really well if they end up holding on to all these pieces. And, and Gorman, as I said, didn't even say in that piece there. Yeah. Because I think the problem that they had when they had Fowler and Carpenter and said, let's go with high on base at the top of the order, they didn't really have the bats behind them that were really going to support them. I think they brought in Goldie at one point during that. But then he had Ozuna, who didn't really work out. And then there was no depth behind that lineup. But now, now that you got all these pieces, if they do decide to hold on to Newpar Donovan, maybe they part with Gorman. I mean, you still got four legitimate bats that can sit behind those two guys that are, should be on-base machines for you. And I can see how they talk themselves into that. It's not hard. This is a championship contending lineup. And I know people laugh when I say that because I was the guy that compared them to 2013. Guys, go look at the numbers. Go look at the numbers from 2013 and compare it to the numbers that we are seeing so far from 2023. It is the 2013 offense. The problem is they don't have the 2013 pitching, and they haven't had the 2013 defense either this year. It's been up and down, and really it's been down more than it's been up for the vast majority of the season. So the offense was every bit as good. It just took a little longer to get there as we expected it to be. They just didn't have the pitching to be able to match. And so the problem that they're now going to run into, they've got to find that pitching. They've got to go out there and acquire the necessary pitching to be able to get it. And that's where uh, this Lars Newbar conversation becomes interesting. I Internally, I hope over the last month, while they've been going through all of these struggles, they've been having the conversations that we're having right now about how do you value these players? Like if these guys were on different teams, I think this is always a good way to, uh, to approach it. If Lars Newbar or Brendan Donovan or um, anybody, Tommy Edmond, Dylan Carlson, any of these guys, if they were on a different team and we weren't seeing them every day, but we just saw what the results are for the players and we we're projecting forward what they're going to be, how would we value that player in terms of trading from the Cardinals current system to get them or to pay for them on the free agency market? How would we value them? If you do that and then you put it on a board with them compared to the other guys that you're potentially going out there to acquire, that helps you decide, okay, are we overvaluing these guys because we see them? Are we overvaluing these guys because we have grown 
personally attached to who they are as people or as players? The answer to that is probably yes. It's hard to hear, but it's true. We grow tied to the players that we watch on a daily basis, especially the guys that we really like. I like Brendan Donovan. I enjoy the way that he plays baseball. Is Brendan Donovan helping the Cardinals more next year than Wu or one of those other young pitchers that is on the Twins right now? I have a hard time answering that question because I don't know. I think what they need is to have both of them, but you might not be able to. I'm so glad you brought that up because the first thing I thought of was everybody that we get heat when we bring up Nolan Gorman's name. The perfect comp for him is who? Kyle Schwarber. And when you think of Kyle Schwarber when he was young in the Cubs system, yeah, you looked at that and you said, well, the reason they win in 2016 is because they've got a Kyle Schwarber. The reason that they were so good for so long was because they've got a Kyle Schwarber. But you know what Kyle Schwarber wasn't to the Chicago Cubs? One of those franchise-altering players. Those guys were Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo and Wilson Contreras and Javier Baez. Kyle Schwarber was one of those complimentary pieces. The other thing about Schwarber is he was non-tendered at one point. Yeah. Like, yeah. so from he's the- a very erratic player because of his profile. You might get next year, it's entirely possible that Nolan Gorman just goes through the year from hell. And he strikes out 35% of the time. He's not connecting enough. Something mechanically is slightly off. And because of the type of player that Gorman is, maybe he hits 25 home runs and hits 200 on the season. That is very much in play. Now, when Brendan Donovan goes through his struggles, he's still getting on base 32% of the time. When Lars Newbar goes through his struggles, same thing is true. They have that flotation device of keeping them close to the, like, average major league hitter by that on base by taking their walks. This is what Matt Carpenter was always so great at is even in his struggles when he was striking out more than you wanted and not hitting for the power that you were hoping for, he was going to get on base. And with Newt and Donovan, one of the things that makes them kind of a little bit more valuable in this capacity than Carpenter, they have value on the bases. Carpenter was always a guy that when he got on, like you had to hit him over and you had to hit him over. And then finally you were able to drive him in. Newt can go first to third Donovan, same thing. So that helps you a little bit as well. That is not the case for Nolan Gorman. And that's why when I look at that and you put that into perspective so well of saying like you value it because you see it so much. And we saw this season how valuable a Nolan Gorman is. But from the outside perspective, a team that's looking at the Cardinals says, well, they're going to compete because they've got Goldschmidt. They've got Arenado. They've got Walker. They've got the offense for Contreras. They got all the offense, but they don't have pitching. Just the same as the Chicago Cubs did with all of those core pieces. Like Kyle Schwarber was just one of the many that they have. Gorman is one of the many that this Cardinals team has, but he's also one of the few that can get you something that makes your team that much better next year. And see, this is where it just depends on what your cup of tea is. Do you like on base more than you do like a guy like Gorman? And I like a guy like Gorman more than I do the on base. Because that slug plays, man. It does. easier. when you get in the playoffs, look, you do want guys that get on base. But you know what's so hard in the playoffs is getting that guy, even if it is a new bar, to score if he gets on base. Because what wins in the playoffs, it's slugging and it's power. And that's why... I value Gorman more than I do. But don't you have a lot of that on your team already? Not from the left side, you don't. He's the only lefty that's got power on this team. And there's nobody else on this team that projects to hit 40. Yeah, Goldie's not even going to hit 40. The the difference between Gorman and those other guys, A, is the left-handed bat. Doing it from that side really helps. I mean, we talked about it last year with Jesse Rogers, right, where... 
teams around Major League Baseball are always looking for the lefty bat going into the postseason because it plays. You got a lot of right-handed pitchers, about 70% of them get into the playoffs. It's really hard to put together hits. And Nolan Gorman has the ability to put those balls in the seats on a consistent basis. He could go through a run in October like we saw from Kyle Schwarber or like we've seen from uh, Jock Peterson, somebody like that. He's got that type of potential. It's really hard to give that up, man. And that is why I would be so hesitant to do so unless you were getting a legit stud young pitcher. And even then, it breaks my heart because I typically am the one that, hey, I'll trade the pitcher for the position player. But the Cardinals have a bunch of them. They have a lot of those guys that are currently in their system. All right, with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we're going to hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind with the place that we began today's show. There were a bunch of rumors that came out yesterday that the Cardinals are at least in talks, maybe, depending on who you listen to, with the Dodgers about Nolan Arenado. We're going to go ahead and tell you why we don't expect that to actually happen and why we think John Mosellock needs to address these rumors. That's next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Official, according to insiders all across the globe, the um, L.A. Dodgers have officially acquired Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly. Uh, We do not have any word yet, at least as far as I have seen, on what the return will be going to the White Sox uh, from the Dodgers. But Lance Lynn, Joe Kelly, both going to the Dodgers. Alex, your angle on this for the Cardinals is what? All the Dodgers need now is Nolan Arenado to complete a championship caliber team. Now the, the the angle on this is the Dodgers basically jumped the league in terms of acquiring what they needed before the trade deadline. So now they don't have to get into this minutia of the trade deadline or focus on some type of big trade that nobody else feels that they can pull off, whether it's Juan Soto or if this Nolan Arenado thing How is real. How incredible would that be? I mean, the, it makes sense, right? The Padres will not do it. They, they yeah, will not trade Juan Soto with another year of control on his contract to the Dodgers. Won't happen. But... That would be incredible. But it makes sense. They got their pitcher. They got their bullpen arm. They've got their depth. Now they can sit there and say, well, let's go get the big fish. And if we don't get the big fish, we're still good to go. So that's what the Dodgers did. And from a Cardinals perspective, once we see what the return is for it, that's another arm that's off the board. And now it's another bullpen arm that's off the board. The return for that, the return for Giolito, you're starting to get a clearer picture of what the return can be for your pieces. I also find it interesting. I feel like we've seen more of this already this year than we have seen in most other years at the deadline. We've seen a, a starter attached with a reliever. That seems to be kind of the the package yeah. that we're seeing around Major League Baseball. The nice thing for the Cardinals is they can do that with multiple different options. And outfielders. Like you want Montgomery. You want Flaherty. Cool. We've got both of those guys available. Then you go to the bullpen. Hicks is available. Helsley apparently is available. Maybe Geo could be available. Stratton certainly is available. And I'm sure there's probably some listeners right now that are saying, oh, cool, you're going to get something for Stratton. I mean, Stratton could really fill a role for a contending team in that like fifth or sixth inning, the bridge reliever, especially in September and August, while these teams are trying to make sure they don't blow out their arms for their big time uh, options coming out of the back end of the bullpen. 
he's not nothing to throw into one of these types of deals. You can trust him in that those bridge innings. So I do think he's got a little bit of value at the trade deadline as well. Yeah, and I think the reason you're seeing teams do this more is because teams are not valuing rentals anymore. Teams do teams want multiple pieces if they're going to give up significant assets for rental, a rental. And I think that's what you're seeing. I mean, Lynn, though he's not technically a rental, which is why I think we're it's taken so long to get this package out because the Dodgers can pick up his club option. But I think when you look at guys like Robertson, who was a rental, you look at uh, who Giolito, who was a rental, why you got to attach more pieces to it? Because if you want what you're looking for in terms of prospects, to get those higher-end prospects, you need to give up more rather than just two months with a guy. And I think that's what we're seeing across baseball is rentals just are not valued, and I think that's why it's interesting to see what the Cardinals do because, to your point, they they do have pieces that they can package. Now, will they is another question. We'll see what Mo ends up doing at the trade deadline. All right, Alex, you mentioned now all they got to do is trade for Nolan Arenado. This was the big... I guess you could call it news piece. I'll, let's go speculation uh, that took place yesterday. Jorge Castillo is a well-respected reporter out in L.A. He's an enterprise reporter who covers the Dodgers day-to-day for the L.A. Times. And he wrote that the Dodgers have had conversations. They have engaged in talks with the St. Louis Cardinals on Nolan Arenado. Now, I believe that the L.A. Dodgers want Nolan Arenado. If I had to do a tinfoil Ferrario theory uh, here. Get it approved first. My guess is that the Dodgers did call the Cardinals about Nolan Arenado. They should. It's bad business by them to not, honestly. And they probably got a little bit of word from, you know, a little birdie that was in their ear saying. Like a Cardinal? Hey, Nolan Arenado didn't love the offseason by John Mosellock. He was told one thing. It happened to be another. And he hates looking around right now and seeing where the Cardinals are at in the standings. Well, don't we all, Nolan? Why don't you go ahead and give him a call? See what, see what you can do to maybe make it worth their time. And the Cardinals probably said. No, we're not trading Nolan Arenado. Of course not. And so the Dodgers leaked it to somebody that is around the team that they had called. They had negotiations. They talked about it. And now Nolan Arenado's family lives in L.A. You know what paper they probably read? You know what paper their friends read? The Post-Dispatch. The L.A. Times. And so when it's in the paper, hey, the L.A. Dodgers approached the Cardinals about trading for Nolan Arenado. You know how this works, Alex. When there's something that's in the paper or something that gets posted online about you or about T-Bone. You get texts from your friends and your family about, hey, what's what's going on here? What's The same thing is probably happening to Nolan Arenado and his family right now. And so he's getting bombarded with it. And he maybe the hope for the Dodgers would be, hey, if he starts thinking about what it would be like to play for the Dodgers, maybe he would be interested in coming here. Maybe he goes to Mo and says, hey, is there any truth to this? Because I I would be interested if this ends up happening. This is all speculation by me. It's a tinfoil. But I think that's probably the motive behind this leak from the Dodgers side of things is maybe this could push Nolan Arenado an inch closer to coming to the Dodgers, whether it's now or in the offseason. I don't think it's going to happen. And this is why I think John Mozeliak should just come out before the game today and say, I want to make this very clear to everybody. We are not trading Paul Goldschmidt and we are not trading Nolan Arenado. If you want to ask me about the rest of the players on this team, we are at least willing to have conversations. But this is a team that we are trying to contend with in 2024 and trading Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt, regardless of the return, would not help us accomplish such a goal. So if you're somebody on the text line like this from the 618, if Mo addresses this rumor, another one would just pop up. He can't give us his intentions, so it's pointless. I disagree with that completely. You nix all the rumors by saying these two guys will not be traded. That's all you got to do. Just shut it down right now. Unless it's true. 
That's the only way you don't do this. If you are actually considering trading one of these guys, then you have to leave it out there in the open. But I don't believe they're going to, so they should be shutting these things down. Yeah, you can't let this happen if you want to compete for 2024. Now, maybe your decisions have changed on that and believe that you can't get better in 2024 because the returns aren't good like you thought they were going to be. And so maybe you are considering this. To play devil's advocate, it would make sense. And even John Morosi told us, like, look, you're not in a position to sit here and say yeah, anybody's untouchable on my team because you've been so bad this year. But if you're winning for 2024, competing for 2024, you take this off the table immediately. Props to the Dodgers for taking their shot if that's what they did, because you've got to attempt to do this if you can get a generational player. But it would be the dumbest move that the Cardinals pulled off right up there with trading Jordan Walker if they traded Nolan Arenado because he is your best shot at winning next year. 100% with you. You cannot move Goldie, Arenado, or Walker if you won't have any intention of winning in 2024. Sure, maybe you feel that phone call just to see if you get the godfather offer, but I, I think there's no way you can pull that deal off. And I agree with BK. I think Mo needs to come out and release a statement, or I don't even know if leaking it through the media would be the way to go no. about this, but I think you've got to come up with a statement tonight and says, you know what, we're not moving Arenado, we're not moving Goldie. Our full intention is still to compete in 2024, and those guys are a crucial part of that for this Cardinals team to turn around next season. So Jeff Jones just posted an interesting question on Twitter. We'll finish the show with this. The fast lane's coming up next. Alex going to stick around for the first two hours of that show from 2 to 4 alongside Jamie Rivers. I'll be joining from 4 to 6. Jeff Jones just tweeted, with the pitching market starting to move, He'd be interested to see if Jordan Montgomery actually makes his scheduled start for the Cardinals tonight, given all of the risk that takes place Ooh. with him potentially uh, being a, a guy that the Cardinals want to move going into the weekend. I think you have to. Would you start Jordan Montgomery tonight? I think you have to. Why? Especially after that last start. I don't do know. If, I don't know if I want the trade market to look at Jordan Montgomery's last start and say this is the reason why we don't want to trade for him. I think the risk of him getting hurt is bigger than the risk of him. Not yeah. getting moved because he allowed seven or seven runs and five earned over six innings. So yeah. I, I'll be totally honest with you guys. I hadn't really thought about this prior to seeing it. I don't think Jordan Montgomery should start tonight. I would not start him tonight either. I I, w- I would almost Bullpen wonder. Bullpen game. Well, I don't even think they can do that. They're That's so the desperate for pitching. I think they almost will start Jordan Montgomery because They'd of that. They have to make a roster move. This yeah. would have had to probably be something that they had planned for last yeah. night to bring somebody now, up. I. I will say they could now not without the roster move because I think they have to make some because of Suarez and Hudson having to cover so many angles last night. I wonder if they would even consider starting Michaelis again tonight. I mean, he threw 14 pitches. Now, if he's like sore from those 14 pitches, sure, then you don't throw him. But if he says, yeah, I feel good, I could probably give you 90 pitches. I I think maybe you look to consider starting Miles Michaelis. And boy, what a great story that would be him starting the day after getting ejected. Yeah, I think you got to start him. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure that the Memphis Redbirds, yeah, they... I think Rosefo is on on turn to start tonight. Now they wouldn't do that, but like, when was the last time Matthew Libertor started? Well, he's not a starter to the Cardinals. He's a well, good. We arm. just need a bullpen arm. I wonder if Zach Thompson make a spot start for Zach you. Zach Thompson's a starter. See up or down? I don't even remember at this point. Well, that's, now I'm falling into the BK category. I don't know where he is. Who Zach Thompson? Oh my yeah. God! Somebody just the perfect pitch modder. The guy's everything for Honestly, you. Honestly, whatever. Third whatever. base, shortstop, second Backup base, put catcher. him in the pitcher. Matthew Libertor last pitch down in the minors on uh, July 22nd. Matthew Libertor should start for the Cardinals tonight. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The Fast Lane coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.